All right, so we are Wednesday Lawyer Talk Blitz edition. That means we are about to interface with the Blitz in T-minus two minutes. We've got uh, uh, the X-checker over there checking the Xs. Check. We have Brett, Circle 270 Media, filling in yet again. Check. And we have Jared and, of course, Steve. Jared and Steve, the mainstays. Hopefully all the gremlins are gone. From our uh, systems, yeah, we. Are, I think I'm mean, sounding good. We sprayed. Things We're are okay. going good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, we've. In, it's relevant, I guess. Like on my bike, you have, I have a bell, right? These little bells. You ever see bells on motorbikes? You know, somebody look at a bike, look around. They usually lower down the ground or something like that, and uh, they're 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 protecting bells. But you can't go buy your own. It's got to be given to you, and it keeps the gremlins because they hide in the potholes. Nice. So uh, I was thinking about bringing in a couple bells for here to keep the gremlins <laughs> out of out of the electrical, uh, you know, studio woodwork here. Yeah, and well, there, and there's some reason for it. It's like you get things working, and then you make a change, and you know that impacts like five other things. So you know, we got to call up the uh, the contract engineers to get it all fixed. Yeah. That's us. Yes, that's us. Call yourself. I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it, uh, there's no secret why it sounds so good. You know, we put in the effort. Freddie B helps us out, and uh, and a little cash behind it. it, it you, know, you know, if you think you can build your own studio, give us a shout. I'll be happy to explain how much it costs and what goes into it because it's not just like you go buy a microphone at uh, Guitar Center and it works. You know, there's uh, there's a lot that goes into it. So that's why people are. Lining up in droves to record their podcast right here at 511 Studio C. Things are picking back up. It's starting to happen. Phones right. are starting to ring. Exactly. People yep. are crawling out of the woodwork. They've had enough. They're ready to get back to the world, I do believe. Yep. All right. Uh, looks like the Blitz is ready now. So here we go. If you need free legal advice on Loper and Randy, better call Steve. Yes. Well, we do have Steve Palmer on the line right now, and uh, you guys can call up if you have legal issues right now at 821-9970. That's 800-821-9970. Steve? Hey, good morning. What's up, brother? How are you? I'm doing great over here in the studio. Looking forward to uh, helping out the listeners. Hey, tell me uh, real quick. So we know today uh, is the official opening and masks off for Texas and Mississippi. Yes, so how does that work long-term for the state of Ohio? Like, is that totally up to DeWine? Is that like a sole decision that he makes? Well, it, it turns out that in, in, in practical terms, yes, it is DeWine's decision because he is in charge as the executive of the Department of Health, uh, and that's an administrative agency that works through the executive branch. So that would be DeWine's call. Now, uh, whether he does anything similar to uh, Texas and Mississippi or anybody else who's saying no masks, I don't know. DeWine's been sort of uh, leaning the other way, I think, but uh, we shall see. Now, I have questions whether he can even order it in the first place, but, you know, we don't need to get into that debate. Uh, the fact right, is right. he has ordered it, and whether he lifts the order, I don't know. Now, th there is a big issue about whether Biden or the president of the United States has the authority to make a, such a – to cram down such an order. And, again, I have, I have questions constitutionally whether that it would be valid either, but hopefully we never have to get there. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think everyone, you know, we were watching the news last night and when the Texas news broke and the news about Mississippi, uh, our youngest son, Knox, came up and he said, uh, Dad, uh, can I take the mask off? It's cool now. You know, he, he just didn't understand. Like he thought, you know, everyone was going to take the mask off, but just two states. It's interesting to see these two states come off, though. I will say uh, this weekend, Israel Adesanya is fighting in the UFC. Mm hmm. 
against uh, this guy, Jan Blahovich, and they were showing footage before Israel uh, came over here for the fight to the United States. He was still back in New Zealand, and everyone in New Zealand is mask off. They did a tremendous job at fighting off coronavirus off that island, and they were literally at a giant soccer football game. Um, or actually, it might have been rugby, actually, and this huge stadium full of people. No one is wearing a mask. And this is like being filmed today. It's kind of crazy. Well, yeah. and that was the other thing in Texas, uh, other than taking their masks off, they said the businesses could operate at 100% capacity if they want to. So, I mean, you know, when the Cowboys play, they can have a full stadium now. Yeah, rock and roll. Why not? I mean, I I, I don't know if it, I, if it were up to me, nothing would have been shut down. I don't know that the shutdowns did anything. I don't think statistically, and uh, when the studies eventually come out, my prediction, as humble as I am, will be that the shutdowns were worthless. They did nothing. And in fact, I would bet that there were unintended consequences that actually uh, were worse on the spread of the virus if that were happening in the first place. We do have a question here, a legal question. Uh, Randy? Yeah, this is from Phil. He said, I was just laid off <clears throat> yesterday afternoon. My boss called and asked me to come into her office. I started to head out of my cubicle where I tripped on, not sure, the leg of my chair or possibly the cord of my fan. Anyway, my knee and neck are really hurting. I hit it pretty hard and I'm not young, 55 years old, but I fell right before I was told I was laid off. Ooh. So I'm not sure how to proceed. Would I still be eligible for workers comp? I did fall at work. And I know the timing is really bad, but there are cameras all over the place. I'm sure one of them picked it up. Yeah, I, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't be entitled to workers' comp. You would, uh, you can make a claim. If you give me a shout, 614-224-6142, I can make a referral to a good workers' comp attorney. But just because you got laid off after you were injured, I don't think means that you shouldn't have a claim uh, for an injury that still happened on the at the workplace while on the clock. I mean... Uh, it, like the, like you said, the timing is a little bit uh, coincidental, but aside from that, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't have workers' comp, whether you were laid off or not. If you're that person, I mean, the timing is perfect. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're going to have right. a fall. And this is from a guy who took a spill on Sunday. You know, uh, Steve, I, I went off the, the front of one of those – Razor scooters, you know, the motorized razor, uh, razor oh, yeah. scooters. Yeah. I guess it's not motorized, but it's electric. Yeah. And it was uh, not fun, man. The whole side of my face is jacked. It was a doozy, and he has a lot of bruises. Yes, I do. Yeah, check out the Instagram. All right, here's Lisa with a mask question for Steve Palmer. Go ahead, Lisa. Hey, I have a quick question. I don't typically watch the news. I'm not a news person, but every so often I'll turn it on. And I've seen some other states where the mask mandate, I have, um, I call myself high maintenance. I have problems. I only go out when I need to. Um, I wear my mask. I follow my rules. Um, I even have a birth defect that prevents me from wearing a mask, but I wear it anyways. I've seen other states where they're trying to arrest people for not, oh, call the police, yada, yada, if you see something someone violating a COVID rule. Is that unconstitutional? Where's that happening? Well, so is it unconstitutional to arrest people for wearing a mask? Is that sort of the question? No, we're not. Um, is it unconstitutional to arrest someone if they're not wearing a mask? Or for not wearing a mask. That's what I meant. Okay, I misspoke. Uh, look, if you're asking me, my answer is yes. I find that to be uh, very offensive. So here's the thing. Uh, is it unconstitutional? I think yes. Are they doing it? I think yes. And uh, it, it, the the idea of this is somewhat odd. You have a... 
you basically have the executive branch of government that is through the director of health or department of health in whatever state there is making rules that are later being forced as criminal laws. And if you violate the rules, you get charged with a crime. Now, that's not the only area where this happens. I mean, think things like gun regulations or other regulatory schemes where if you don't follow them, you can be accused of crimes. Um, but I, I, the, the real question is, is the mask mandate rationally related to a, an end that makes sense? In other words, does it all make sense? And if it doesn't all make sense, then you start to have to question the constitutionality of the rulemaking authority of the director of health and the delegation by the executive to do that. So, uh, you know, look, I, it's a complex mess, but the answer is, is it constitutional? It's a matter of opinion. And uh, in some jurisdictions, I've seen uh, decisions uh, being issued that show it's not constitutional for various reasons. Maybe it applies to some, but not to others. Uh, but as a practical matter, it is happening and people are having to defend uh, those types of infractions. I mean, it's worse on the shopkeepers who uh, are getting theoretically shut down if they are permitting others not to, or their patrons not to wear masks, uh, like the restaurants who make you wear a mask on the way to your seat. Please do, because otherwise they get shut down and they've been hurt enough. So that's uh, yeah, that's I, I agree. Doing. I agree with that too. You know, I just think common courtesy. You know, if the thing is the mask right now, we're doing the mask in the places that you have to do it. Why? Why make a fuss? You know what I mean? Like, there's no take the mask off deal for us yet. You know, there's it's still wear the mask in public, and it's I I agree it's silly. Like you're not going to get Corona walking to the table, but you will. You're good once you sit down. Like it just seems uh, silly, but at the same time. If everyone else is cool and every, you know, we're we're back out to eat and everybody feels good, I think in that situation maybe it's just you don't have to argue everything, you know. It doesn't have to always be like that. Yeah. Eight two one. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Steve. Oh no no no. Go ahead. You're fine. All right. So uh, 821-9970-800-821-9970. We got a few calls. We're going to take those right after this. Steve Palmer. Last segment. Legal questions. If you have them, now's the time. All right, Steve, it's only a two and a half minute song, okay? All right, perfect. Thanks. Steve? Right back yeah. in a winter storm. Yeah, the song only two and a half minutes long, so we'll be back. Uh, we got like, oh, okay? Yep, perfect. All right. Go to Universal Control. Down here. We can take the mask off when we say we can take the mask off. There's no need to wait for the governor to tell you what the fuck to do. That's why I was getting that little bit of extra noise. I had, uh, we had uh, effects on there. On their feed, it'll still it'll, it'll be fine, but it'll be better now. So that's the questions people want them off. People are like this, like even this boy turned on the news, like look, we're free. And and, and you know, I, I guess and that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna rush like a tidal wave right there, bro. It is gonna look. Freedom is catchy. Right? <laughs> freedom is catchy. There's a reason why. Like that's what you should say. You should the, like this. You the should natives are getting restless no. everywhere. They are. Exactly. They're, they're getting restless. I, I'm hearing it everywhere I go. Yeah, you're not going to contain this country. No. 
uh, and it's freedom. And everybody's like, well, why should you guys have freedom? Blah, blah, blah. Because we want it. <laughs> you know, it's like we're the ones in the world that have it. And none and of you other SOPs right. do. And you don't understand what you don't have. And, uh, you know, I, I, this idea of not fighting it, I, I you know, some of it is uh, if you could organize the entire. Why, why make a fuss? I'm not going to make a fuss because, not because I respect the rule, but because I respect the business owner. Yes, who's, correct. Who's correct. going to get hosed and yes. shut down? Yes, and I don't want to make any more problems for those guys. No, no, that's and that's. But so they have set up a scenario. They being the government has set up a scenario where you have to feel bad, like they're they're getting the rules enforced like in that way through guilt. In Granville, there's a diner that that uh, they even posted an ad stating this. We're not wearing a mask, and you don't have to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've seen restaurants like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're like, we're done. What are you going to do? But, yeah, Steve, that whole, that's such an insidious way to, to manage. Oh, no. But that's this not is, the Columbus this Health Department we're dealing with. You yeah. mean, Jay, right. you're in the Army. I mean, this is Army stuff. It's like, all right, so. so. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Loper and Randy in the morning with our lawyer. It could be yours, Steve Palmer, joining us live right now. Steve. Hey, good morning. All right, so we have uh, Jennifer standing by here who has a landlord-tenant question. Hey, Jennifer, what's up? Hey, um, how you doing today? We're doing great. Thanks. Good, good, good. Um, I uh, have a question. Um, I have a landlord-tenant issue. My um, landlord, who just happens to also be my parent, um, oh. which, which I have a lease with, uh, <laughs> um, who they made my lease for a dollar a month, and I gave them a cashier's check for $4,500 in August. Um, my lease was good for a year, and our lease was up in November. Um, and they bought this house for us, so that way we never had to worry about a roof over our head ever again. And then are now evicting us. And they've been trying since we got here two years ago. And I paid them $4,500 in August, and they're trying to tell me it was for back rent. So when my rent's only a dollar a month, I've only been here two years. All right. So and I, 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 I'm missing something. So you paid him forty five hundred. I paid them forty five hundred dollars in August. But your rent is how much a month? One dollar a month. Why did you pay him forty five hundred if your rent is one dollar a month? Family because deal. I was paying them towards this house. They bought this house for me. Okay, so what you're um, what you're doing, what you're doing then is sort of a land sale contract. Is that does that sound right? Where you're renting to own, maybe? Yes. Yes, but the re- the lease that we have is your basic residential lease. All right. They tried taking me to court once already, and I and they got dismissed because of um, they couldn't prove that I had uh, violated anything on the lease, um, which they kept trying to do in the court. And the court, the judge kept telling them that that wasn't valid because it wasn't part of the lease that we had. Um, so that's why they dismissed it. Um, we had a lease when we first moved out here for 500 a month, but that's null and void because he was even my stepdad stated that in front of the judge that it was null and void because I signed it. <laughs> As a married couple, and we're not legally married, my husband and I. Yeah. But 
Oh, hold on. Well, I guess why? What's the beef with your parents? I mean, why do they want you out of the house? I mean, is there something really going on? It's it's more personal, and now it's getting uh, it's showing up in the. I think, it, I think that yes, they have made this more personal. Absolutely. However, they've broken multiple, violated multiple landlord um, tenant issues. They've um, entered the home and done inspections on the home without us being here, without giving us any notification without doing any, and they said they don't have to because they own the house. And wow. I said, but I have a lease What's and that? I have rights. Here, here's, here, here, here's the deal. Look, if you're, if your parents are trying to evict you, then they're going to have to go to court just like last time and offer reasons why you are in breach of your agreement on the lease. That means they're going to have to show that you're not doing what you're supposed to do uh, or you're not paying your rent or some other uh, conduct that you're engaged in that is that would give them a reason to throw you out. Now, short of that, I, I don't see how they can evict you if you guys have a signed written agreement. I would guess that there's more to this. I, I don't know why or what is really going on, but always default to what is in writing. And, and this is a problem that often arises when you have agreements with friends and family is that Everybody says, oh, I'll sign it. It's no big deal. You know, we're, we all get along anyway. But you have to create these documents. You have to create these agreements, and, and in this case, a lease, uh, as if you hate each other now and you're breaking up now. What do you want it to look like? So, in other words, agree on how you're going to disagree later. And once you do that, it gets a lot easier. Now, this may not have already happened in your situation. It's more prophylactic for everybody else. But in, in your situation, to the extent you have an agreement in writing, that is what the courts will follow, irrespective of whether your parents – your friends, your family, your children, whatever it is, that whatever the relationship is, if it's a written agreement, they'll follow it if it's valid. Now, if it's not valid, then they go outside the written agreement and they would say for whatever reason, your lease agreement is invalid because somebody didn't sign it or there's not the correct terms or whatever it is. And then they'll fill in the gaps using equity and, and their own decision-making power of what should happen based on what is standard in the industry. So, uh, I, I would say if they're trying to evict you, just treat it like it's a stranger and go to court and, and fight it. Now, I, I hate to say that about your parents. I, I, would, I would much rather say go try to get along and figure this out and love each other. But if that's not going on, then you, at least you got an agreement. They threaten me with the fact that they have a lawyer with, who knows Lancaster laws. Um, they've also, the question I've got, my main question is, is if I paid them a cashier's check for $4,500 in August, and it's on record. I've got it on tape, like on video, stating what it was for. I have the receipt of the cashier's check. And if they were not planning on renewing my lease in November, when the lease was technically up for renewal, uh, and they cashed the check. But see, they cashed the check for $4,500. I got you. So I see. Squatters rights. Yeah. So here's what happens. If you are living in a place that you are renting from somebody else and the lease expires, and nobody does anything about it, it generally speaking defaults to a month-to-month -month agreement based on the terms of what the lease would have been if it were in place. So if I'm paying 100 bucks a month and my lease expires and I stay there, I'm going to still owe 100 bucks a month, and, and I'm gonna they're going to follow, generally speaking, what the lease terms were. Now, that doesn't, until something changes? Or? Yeah, until they, they can take yeah. steps to evict you at this point, but they have to go through the courts to do it because they can't just throw you out. There's been an implied lease now because they've let you live there uh, for this period of time. 
Now, that doesn't mean you don't owe them to stay. You don't get to stay for free uh, just because they're not throwing you out. It'll just default to what the lease terms are. Now, the 4500 I don't know if there's a separate agreement on the purchase price or a separate agreement uh, aside from the lease that would justify them keeping that 4500 but that's the question the court is going to ask. So I would say this. If they have a lawyer, I mean, first of all, Lancaster laws, we're really talking about the state of Ohio laws and generally speaking, uh, landlord-tenant law is going to be pretty common for everybody. So I don't think there's any, quote, expert needed in Lancaster law. The issue is uh, they have an attorney you don't. I highly recommend you get one, and uh, I'd be happy to refer you to somebody, 614-224-6142. All right, Steve Palmer, thanks so much, man. We appreciate you. And, uh, hey, we're just a, a little bit under two weeks away from St. Patty's Day. Yeah, how about that? Everybody be safe out there because uh, I think it's going to be the shot out of a cannon effect. You know, everybody's been cooped up. And hopefully we don't have a mass ma- mandate by then and people can just go have fun and get in trouble. I mean, not get in trouble. And, uh, and uh, no, really, no, be, everybody be safe and uh, take your Ubers, take your Lyfts, take your cabs. Don't drink and drive. Totally, man. All right. My lawyer, he could be yours. Steve Palmer, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, guys. Love this guy. All right. Uh, let's pause for the news. The lovely Kelly Quinn will sashay to the microphone as Randy wow. and I. Oh, look at that shake. Feel mm-hmm. free to take a lap. All right, so that was uh, we called it. Yeah, we did. Ma- I mean, look, mass <laughs> How about and that? We called it. mass and and landlord tenant. So, you know, the the mass thing is interesting. I, I was trying to figure out her angle on that. Like she, I was trying to think if she she said she's an introvert, she tries not to go out. I didn't know if she wanted to wear a mask or didn't want to wear a mask. She doesn't. Want yeah, she didn't. Mask. Yeah, yeah. She's like, I've even got a reason why I could get away with not wearing it, but I still do. So she that's did. that's her introvert part is is her fear of other people coming down on her. You know I mean? She already sounded like a person that, you know I mean, may stay inside anyhow, and now you've got the threat of the Karens out there that are going to give you the yeah. business because you're not following their rules. I think I saw something. It was it was a meme or something. or It was a, no. It's not The Onion, but one of those fake news stories, programs out there that, that put out the things. And uh, right. it was something about the worst thing about the mask mandates are the Karens aren't going to be able to tell people what to do. Yeah. That was their most empowering moments of their lives, was is, to be able to go out and scold people. It is remarkable to me how the, the person, it's like, and we've all known this person since grade school. It's always the hall monitor. The, the ones that would that love bossing other people around with a little bit of authority or perceived authority that they think they have. I mean, remember when the mask mandate first came out? They said, look, if you have a condition like allergies, and the ex-checker's got some allergies over there. I know yeah. he's got some issues. And, you know, I do too, and it gives me a severe headache to wear a mask. And I, I get by. I've, I've learned how to get by. I'm not going to explain how, but I've learned how to get by. But I can tell you the, the, the ways I get by are probably not really meeting the uh, the goal of what the strict mass mandates are intending. So it, it, so it's all a farce. It's all optics. It's all, it, it's all nonsense. It's all feeling. It's all just, oh, yeah, I got all it is. On. So somehow the collective feels good about telling, oh, you don't feel, you're, you're disrespectful of everybody else's health because you won't wear a mask and they're like 15 feet away. I'm like, look, man, just keep your distance. We're cool. All right. If We're you cool. live in a neighborhood association, it's those people. It's, yeah. It's <laughs> the, Good example. In a, in a, yeah. in a bad Neighborhood association. Well, in, in any, you know, anytime there's a, any, I think anytime you have these like civilian groups, they get, a, people get a little power and it corrupts. You know? It does. It, it <laughs> absolutely those, those does. Like, yes. It's like people get obsessed over insignificant rules and it's, it's so painful. Working in the private country clubs, you know, they would have boards 
they would have members and they would have rules that they would imply mm -hmm. and the board members always wanted you to know that they wrote the rule oh yes. wow now i i i had an issue I, I, yeah i'll do it. I, I had an issue i got a condo i was remodeling and whatever it was and there was a complaint and um i was doing everything right but there was a complaint and it, it struck me as odd is that the it, i never got information about who the complainant was so it's like we have like you get these weird sort of emails that say there we have received complaints <laughs> and I'd ask for information about who the complainant is. I would like to have a little bit of due process here. I'd like to know who the complainant is. I'd like a right to confront my accusers. I'd like to have uh, some fair notice and, and some information about it so I can defend myself. Crickets. I never got it. And because I, what was happening is if you smoke it all out, I would think, is that it is not, there really wasn't any, quote, civilian complainants. It was board com the board reaching out on its own and complaining. And uh, it's like that's where you're getting at. It's like when the board, like when the complainant is the person who is responsible for adjudicating the complaint, there is an inherent conflict of interest. It's good to be the king. Yeah. And it's like that's it, right? That's it. This is why I hate executive. We're right back to it. Right. This is why I hate executive orders because if you're the person, like if there is no, let's break this down, at least in a homeowners association, the homeowners have some degree of democratic input. You know, there's almost always a, there's a meeting once a year and you can at least, you're represented in some way, shape or form. When you start letting the executive branch of government, even if you happen to love whoever's in charge, dictate rules, you have usurped, you have gone around, it's an end around, it is a, it is a backwards way. You, 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 are, you are prohibiting the function of the Congress, of the General Assembly to make law. In other words, your representative uh, that you voted for that sits in the state house up there on Broad and High does not have any say-so really in what your executive is doing as far as cramming down rules. And think about that for a second. So you've got the executive branch of government making rules that become laws that can be prosecuted in the courthouse. Now, this, is a, this happens in our country all the time, but this is why I hate the administrative state because you don't have any recourse in the sense that you don't get to go and vote and say, I don't like this rule, Mr. Representative or Mrs. Representative. Can you please go represent me and change it? I don't like this law. It's stupid. Um, and, and worse yet, when you do it with like rule, when you do it like this emergency crap, um, the idea is we have an emergency. And anybody who knows, I, I once went to a shrink, I, I admit it, but it, we were talking, about, he, he made some comment that stuck with me. He's like, uh, is there... I said, what about an emergency? We're you know what we're talking about? We're talking about whether I should have my phone with me at all time. Because as an attorney or as a business person, you always feel like you have to have your phone and be on call 24-7 in case there's an emergency. And he just looked at me and said, when's the last time you had an emergency? And it was that quiet. I, had to, I, I could not think of when I had an emergency, like a real one. And we've all had a few, but it's not like what was an emergency like 20 years ago is not is is far a greater problem than what we might call that today. So, and the point of this is we have, say the pandemic's an emergency. The idea is there is not enough time for our representatives in the General Assembly to actually get there, convene, have open and public discourse and debate, discussion on the statehouse floor. And by the way, we can all go. It's open. We can go watch them argue about whatever issue they're arguing about. And that way, if you don't like it, you can contact your representative and change it. 
and say, hey, look, this is BS, man. I want you to do something else. I voted for you, and if you don't, I'm going to vote for somebody else. Now, does your vote count? Well, to the extent it does, it does. But when the executive branch of government, particularly somebody the executive like DeWine, delegates another power to do, to uh, make rules, like you don't get to vote for that. They're just making rules. And in the, the point of the emergency is there wasn't time for the General Assembly. Well, how long does the emergency last before the General Assembly would have time to go open their doors and convene and have an open and public debate about what's going on? So in theory, say you had two weeks. All right, is, can we get everybody back? and get them a hotel room so they can at least uh, have a discussion about whether the mass mandate works or doesn't work or bring in some experts who will testify or provide information on the open floor of the debate or can we uh, bring in uh, other experts on whatever topic you're talking about and that way all right so we had the emergency the executive acted because we couldn't now we can act so the executive's power should be gone poof well somehow there's a there's a there's a short circuit here. <laughs> it's like well, the, Steve, isn't that actually codified that the emergency powers are only good for like ninety days or something? Yeah, there's a uh, well. Here's what happens. So I, in I, theory, they do have limits on it, but we've just blown right by every single limit we have. Well, here's it's. I don't know what the uh, what the rule, what the statute in Ohio, the delegation uh, of the of the emergency power is, but it. it I know this, and and every state's going to have something a little bit different. Uh, and I know, but I do know this is that when the General Assembly said we want to have a review every two weeks, a bipartisan review of the governor's power under this emergency, uh, and they tried to pass a bill, the governor, I don't know what happened with it, but I think he said that he was going to veto it. And I think he did veto it. If he didn't veto it, he threatened to veto it, then it changed. But um, the idea would be look, you're, this is a separation of powers problem. The, the General Assembly is supposed to make the law. The governor is supposed to uh, be an executive. And when the governor starts to make the law and the General Assembly can't stop that, then we got a big problem. Um, we got a big problem. Yeah, you know? that's a problem. Yeah. And, and anybody who thinks uh, – now, here's the, here's the thing. We have – our society seems to have defaulted to this they, – they evaluate this problem not by whether or not the exercise of power was valid, but by whether or not they agree with whatever – Right. The governor was doing. And to me, that is even worse. So you could easily say, well, I agree. Everybody should wear a mask. So therefore, the governor should have the power to do it. Well, you have to understand that if you think everybody should wear a mask, the government also has the power yeah. then to say everybody can't wear a mask. It's not like you get to choose how they wield the power. You don't get to choose which direction he aims his uh, his power at. Just you know, because the winds of change were in blowing in your direction. That's correct. Yeah. This is so short-sighted. And sooner or later, you know, I, I wrote, there's a great blog I wrote. Jay actually helped me with it. Did you help me with this one? This was the, um, not the. I helped the, you with the science one. This, yeah, this was the other. This is the mob justice one. And, you know, there's an old Sir Thomas More interchange uh, in, a, in a play called A Man of All Seasons where, you know, his sons want him to, his son and family, they want him to go after this guy. And, and arrest a bad guy who is threatening to do harm to him. And Sir Thomas More says, no, I won't. And the guy said, you know, why not? And he goes, and the gist of it is because the guy hadn't yet violated any laws. And Sir Thomas More says, I can't do anything about it because he hasn't broken the law, not yet anyway. And they said, well, you would have this guy uh, do you harm and not stop it, and, and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so you said, you bet I would because I don't have the power to change the law. I don't have the power to 
decide when it gets applied and when it doesn't get applied because sooner or later the devil's going to double back and turn on you and the law won't be there. There'll be no more trees to hide behind, I think is sort of the language you used. Mm. So the idea is if if it's good for me, then it better be good for thee when it turns around the other way. And, And people aren't analyzing stuff in this way anymore. They're not saying, I'm scared of this power because this power could be used in a way I don't agree with. They're saying, I, I think this is awesome. We should do more of it. I even heard say, people say, well, I'm going to vote for Biden because I want everybody to wear a mask. And I almost choked on whatever I was drinking. I was like, well, that's freaking absurd. One, wow. because you're going to give the president the power to tell us in in that situation, in the small town we were sitting in, <coughs> to wear a mask. It's like, that's lunacy, man. And if he can has that power, where does it stop? Well, he won't do it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's right. Weird. And then I, I've, I've all, I've all, I, I sent a text to another, I, I said, you just give me one example of the last time in history without armed conflict that uh, something akin to the executive branch or the leader of a country or the federal government or the authoritarian regime, whatever it is, voluntarily gave back power that they took <laughs> under the guise of some necessity. Man. Like, when has that happened? Ever. And I, it, you, I cannot, I was a history major, I can think of no time when that has happened. They may stop using it, but it's always there at their fingertips when they need it. And they're never going to pass a law that says we went too far and uh, we are hereby not going to ever do that again. What was the announcement just yesterday or day before that there will be enough vaccinations by the end of May to, to inoculate everyone in the United States? No, and thanks. I, and I read that and heard them going, what does that mean? Are you going to mandate it? Mm-hmm. So there's it's two ways. It's going to mandate yeah. it. Think about that. Could that is you, unbelievable. Could, does, do, do we want a federal government that has the authority to force us to get a shot? I mean, do we want that? Now, you could see this is not – this is like when we remember we debated the wall, Jared. It was like everybody was like, ah, no, no wall. Yes, well, no wall. And we finally – like I finally was like, well, wait a minute. Let's first talk about what the immigration policy is, because the wall is only a means to enforce the immigration policy. It's like this is not about whether you agree with you should have a vaccine because the vaccines are good or whether you think the vaccines are bad and and you shouldn't have the vaccine. This is about whether do we want a federal government that has the authority to force individual citizens to get a vaccine or a shot or something similar? Like, can they force us to do it? And if so, what's the power source? Meaning, where in the Constitution, where in the law, where do they get the power, and how is how will that possibly? I can't think of any reason how that could possibly be abused in the future. Right? It's yeah. like it's it's lunacy. Yeah. Have we I, done this already though with like polio and other? There has been a the decision. There's an old case called Jacobson back when there was the first Spanish flu, I think, and uh, or is that is that not woke anymore to call it the Spanish flu? I don't remember, but maybe you can't <laughs> say it anymore. I don't think you can. But it, there was a there was a case called Jacobson, and it had to do with a guy who got his first shot and refused to get the second. They charged him with a crime, and the Supreme Court upheld it. Um, and it's a it's a dicey little opinion because on the one hand, it sort of looks like the federal government has or the state local governments through the director of health has the power to do it. On the other hand, you have to look at it differently in the sense that in that case, it was not the federal government cramming it down; it was a local government doing it. So that's a huge difference. It's a huge distinction in if you take if you believe in the way our country is founded as i that we have this concept called federalism where we have independent states and then we have a conglomerate of all the states that become the federal government but uh can the federal government have they ever done it i don't think so okay. I, I don't think okay. they've ever the federal government has never forced it like that 
And now, now think about this one too. You, I think if we're going to talk about vaccines, you also have to say, what is the reliability of the vaccine? What is my recourse if it harms me? And how is that baked into the federal government uh, power grab? And in this situation, in our country, we have this vaccine act that is nothing short, in my opinion, of deplorable because the vaccine, you, they get a pass. If you're going to sue the vaccine company, you got to go, basically go to, quote, vaccine court, which is <laughs> which is like a federally run Mickey Mouse. It's like the court of no claims. No, that's here. no joke. You yeah. literally have to sue the federal government. You cannot sue Pfizer. You cannot sue Moderna. That's right. You have to sue the Department of Justice. So they took the heavy on it. Yeah. 1986 started it. They bolstered it in 2003 or 2005. And then just last year, it's like bulletproof. These guys now have zero liability. Think about that. You produce a product with zero liability. You don't have any liability, and you're actually injecting people, and so, you have zero liability. How do I know my blood chemistry is the same as yours? Well, this is the problem. How do we right? know that? And they're just telling us to get vaccinated. It's like there's no way. And and this is this is this is a good way to think about this. And we all remember like the uh, well, hell, we talked about products liability a couple weeks ago. We all remember like the Pinto lawsuits and we all like there was another one, I think, with Dodge or, or uh, Chrysler where the brake pedals were not working. People were slamming. Their car. So the issue is this, is that those companies made a decision based on legal liability, whether they were going to spend the money to fix the problem. And, you know, it was it was more about like how much are we going to have to spend to fix this versus how many how much how many dollars are we have to spend in lawsuits. Now, if you want to if you think that the government is going to change human nature. Um, you're sorely mistaken. But generally speaking, if the if a company feels like it has risk, and by risk I mean they could have to pay, and they then uh, they then are going to evaluate that risk and do things differently and safer based upon the risk. Now, if you take the risk off their shoulders, if you say we don't have any risk, then then you're relying on them uh, one to do it uh, in good faith. To, to produce whatever product, car, vaccine, you know, widget, whatever, in good faith, the best they can. Um, and let's give them that for a second. But two, that they didn't make any mistakes, that there's not a problem or that there's not a better way to do it. And, and it, it, if you don't incentivize that, actually, you don't, there's no you that has to incentivize. If that is not incentivized, then it's not going to happen the way it normally does. So if you say... We're not going to give you any risk because we think this vaccine is so important. We want to get it out as quickly as possible. Then, you know, that may be you may be say you may say, all right, that's a good policy. We like that policy. But you better be ready for the fact that you got no recourse if something bad happens. Zero. And and then I would say this, the ultimate the ultimate culprit of this is the government. Yep. All right. So and here's what I mean by this. If the government gets involved in business, you've got no recourse if they screw you. You really don't. Um, now you can say you do and, and, and whatever, but at the end of the day, the person who made the decisions is not making decisions with their own money, their own, uh, reputation, their own business at stake. They're making the decisions with your money, your reputation and the government's, uh, is, Funded is, by is, us. is, is, is it. So if the government engages in private business, you, they don't care if they lose money because it's not their money. And, you know, I, you can say, well, not my guy. I, I voted for the right person who really, really cares. And I'm thinking, no, they don't. There's a disconnect. There's always a disconnect. And I've said it a thousand times in the last year. I'll say it a thousand more in the next year is that 
if any governor, DeWine, uh, anybody else in the entire country, any local official, any individual, any person, anyone at all would have had to face two consequences based on the shutdown orders. That is, no paycheck and or lose your business and job. There would have been no shutdowns. And I don't give a crap what anybody says about the good of the whole. If Governor DeWine lost his paycheck in his office and his job, never to return, if he shut down society, he wouldn't have done it. And he can get it. Come on, come on in, DeWine. I'd be happy to debate you about this. But you're full of shit if you say anything else. And all the people who lost their jobs, who lost their businesses, and those business owners like Jared, like me, like every other small business owner who was doing their best to make things work, we don't get unemployment either. There's no benefit for that because if you just go, not if you're following the rules, if you're going to the office just to try to make it so you can make money in the future, then that theoretically disqualifies you for unemployment. So there is no income. It is zero. It is zip. In a lot of situations, people lost their life work. And anybody who says that it was necessary and their life work was non-essential, well, that is the most arrogant, absurd, and selfish proposition I have ever heard in my entire life. If you think that somebody else's livelihood, life, work, and family is non-essential, then go screw yourself. All right? Well, I if mean, it wasn't non-essential, totally why, why, why are we getting $1,400 checks? Right, yeah. right. So yeah, Obviously, my, we're, uh, we have a value of yeah, something. My livelihood is essential to me and my family. Right. And it's, it's as a, simple as that. Hmm. And how is that not looked at? It's essential not only to you and your family, but it's essential to the rest of our society. We are we have a very very de- dependence not the right word uh, um, a symbiotic society where our, like everybody's little cog makes a difference. Everybody's individual worth matters, and it's not a collective. And screw you if you think it is. It's, no, it's, you're right. It does not work that way. We have individuals, and to say those individuals' business and jobs are non-essential is essentially saying they are non-essential. And and I would say this. Um, well, then the other thing they said that I heard was, well, they have our best interest. He's got my best interest in mind. And to that, I say, screw you, because I don't remember the meeting I had with Governor DeWine where he got to know me and understand what my interests were. I don't remember that at all. Right. And I don't remember the time that he sat down and, and, and picked up the phone and said, Hey, Steve, just, just reaching out because we're shutting down businesses and that's going to impact your income and, and the people that you employ and, and the, and the people that you can help. Uh, I just want to find out what your interests are so I can try to tailor some order that makes sense for you. Like, that, that's horseshit. Nobody ever did that. Nobody ever will do that. These people's interests are getting reelected. These people's interests are preserving their job. And these people's interest, sadly, and not even sad, I don't even think it's sad. I think this is all this is all very reasonable to say this. I want to make sure that I maintain my job. I don't want to be accused of killing lots of people. I don't want to be accused of of any so what they're doing is weighing the lesser of evils not as what will happen but as how they will be judged and uh, they are judged every year or every time they show up on the ballot they're judged so i don't say this in the sense that they're bad people for thinking this way they are politicians for thinking this way and that's how it has to be so and that's okay i don't have any problem with that that's just what but that that is how this has to be evaluated so i'm done with my rant i'm sorry yeah. well and in his evaluation will be he's not going to be go up for re-election anyway he, he knew he was done. He's not going to. So well, he oh, has, yeah, he will. He has, no. It's, yeah. it's, 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 his, it's his little, it's his sidekick. <laughs> That's the boy that's going to run. Well, yeah. And I, I, I think he was grooming him, and he, he didn't. He said. I think, I mean, at least. I, I think. Can see it. I, I can see where Dwayne would run again. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I, I, I'm just saying he, he could look at it that way. So I'm not really, I'm not running again. I'm going to do what I I mean, because this, I is, this, is, is, this is his first run. 
It is. I'm just thinking of age. I'm thinking he's grooming his boy. Well, yeah. And whether that worked or not, I don't know. But I, I don't know. That's my speculation. Who knows? It, it's all in the cards. Well, you either know. way, it's like we all sat down here at this table and said the same thing. It's like he's got like if you're if you're DeWine, what are your choices? Do nothing. And then maybe millions of people die. And it's your watch. You get blamed. Do as much as you possibly can. Shut down the entire world. And maybe then t- one of two things happens. Either nobody dies or uh, it, 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 uh, it's completely ineffective and everybody dies anyway. Or some maybe I guess something in the middle. Um, what are you going to do? So you're going to shut down everything because if everybody dies, you did everything you can say. You did everything. I did everything I could. I did what everybody, whatever I could possibly do. You didn't do your and job. And now it's Trump's fault <laughs> or the federal government's fault yeah. or somebody else's fault. Yeah. Or you could say if nobody dies, it's because of what I did. Now we need to do more because I don't want to go back to the first option. You know, it's like there isn't an option. That's just how it works logically. And And now I've heard, like whenever we hear this, it's like, Look, everybody's wearing a mask like 90% of the time, and but it's uh, the numbers are still going up. We need to do more. Well, you could easily say everybody's wearing masks 90% of the time, numbers are still going up. Maybe we better reevaluate whether masks are working. <laughs> it's like, and here's what I have yet. It's a reasonable question. Mm-hmm. I have yet to see where any one of these people have said, "Improve your own immune system." Here, we're gonna we're gonna give out vitamin C and vitamin D and zinc. Yeah. No, they're not doing that. Not right. Not a one. Not one time. Yeah. Whereas this is a virus that's that is ninety nine point seven six survivable. Yeah. Yeah. There's no vaccine that that can compare to. And these shots that so, people are getting, you know. Well, go ahead. I don't well, want to cut you off. well, I'm just saying that it's. How is this not being looked? They know it. So there, uh, to me, there's some kind of ulterior motive, and if it's just money, that that it, we're in a sad state. Multiple people that I've heard of getting the shot that get need multiple, a lot of them are not going back for number two. Yeah. And uh, shorty, you know, my wife cleans houses and office building there, and she cleans for this one. Which the woman's 101 years old. All right, she's 101, but when she goes to clean her house, you know, she would, she cleaned her room actually. But anyhow. The woman dances around, walks around, talks, texts, was doing just fine, and then she goes to get the the shot, gets number one shot, and they thought they were going to lose her. Uh, she got sick as could be, had to be carried to the bathroom, at in and out, and and they're like this. Yeah, she's not getting number two. Mm-hmm. And so she was fine, not sick, nothing, you know, nothing there, but convinced that she needed this, and which almost, which again, I mean, she's a hundred and one. That's you know I mean that that you know I mean her kids are, are 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 old. Well, and then there's questions like, do I need the shot if I've already had it? If I, I mean if I if I had Corona, right, and I survived, do I need the shot? Like I've not heard an answer to that. No, other than a timetable. <clears throat> no. no, we're not going to put you on the list. No, up either like this three is or the six most months or something like unbelievable that. bug ever. Yeah, and it's not. It's a coronavirus. They're all over the place. My dogs have coronavirus. That's why ivermectin works in people. Because it works in dogs, we already know that. Hmm. Well, I guess the I guess the point is is that we should the government have the authority to cram down a vaccine by order? No. I certainly don't think the federal government should. No. And at the local level, there's a, there's a strong debate to there have. There could be another squeeze. You know what I mean? Like you can't use public transportation. That's right. That's you what's going to If you don't have the car, if you don't have it, you that's you discrimination. Know I mean? uh, well, how do you even know I'm sick? I'm not sick. This mm. this is this what is what if what's I gonna, identify as vaccinated? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is what uh, 
this is what we're going to this is what we're going to face and this is not the first time we have faced stuff like this so you can we're not going to force you to do it but you don't get to do this if you don't do it and you know we'll see you know you're going there were, there was a time in our country i believe that vaccination cards existed and uh, I, I don't doubt for a second we're going to see that so if yeah. you want to travel so, or oh, yeah. come back here's in. here's the wayback machine real quick in 54 uh, the polio vaccine came out had about 60 to 70% efficacy uh, and then all of a sudden, the vaccine started causing an outbreak of polio. And they know that. That happened. Mm-hmm. Then, because it, this says it was determined that uh, there's a faulty batch. Well, yeah, what's to say today that there's not going to be a faulty va- batch of this vaccine? I saw where Sweden or somebody just banned the Moderna vaccine. There's, they're like, don't even put that stuff in our in our country. Yeah, I know somebody who got very sick from that too, and actually a, a family member got really, really sick and almost died from it. And it's well, like they're talking, hmm. they're talking ridiculous amounts of people are getting injured by this stuff. So now here's the thing: way back when it was you're sick until proven unsick. Now you get the shot and you get sick. It wasn't the shot. Yeah, you, ha- you have to believe it wasn't the shot. It's you. Well, this is another. This is another little. No, you're hole. putting poison in me. If if I got if I got if I say I tested positive for coronavirus, I never had any symptoms, and I died, say two weeks later, is that a corona death? Now flip it around. Say I got the shot, uh, and then I got sick and I died two weeks later. Is that a shot related death? Right. You know, it's like I don't think those standards are getting applied equally, and I, I don't not. even know. But they're not. There's no. There's, it's hard to even look that stuff yeah. up. So. Right. And there's an inordinate amount of people getting wounded, injured, and dying from these vaccines. And why? Wounded. Number one, number one, this is the first time an mRNA vaccine has ever been injected in people. This has never been done before. Number two, they've been working on, I think since 03, the, the SARS, which is a variant of uh, coronavirus. They've been working on that since 2003. There's no such vaccine that cures it or, or stops it from spreading. It just doesn't happen because it's very difficult. And this thing has already mutated. How many times? So, so you're, it's just like the damn flu stuff. You're taking a shot for something that already happened that this will not really do any good for. Well, I think it, part of this problem is the same part of all the problems that we've run into with this type of government action, which is as soon as the executive branch starts to cram stuff down, you don't have an open and public debate about what they're doing. Right. There's no place to really ask questions. And now we've got a culture. This will be a nice transition where if you do ask questions, they want to shout you down and cancel you. And, yeah. and the problem with that is suppressing questions, su- suppressing opinions that even invalid ones, uh, I think results in two things. One, uh, a suppression of thought, and then which is bad because people stop thinking, and or worse, it goes underground. So now you've got all these really bad ideas getting uh, festering on their own without air and exposure or public um, and I don't want to say public ridicule, uh, without a public debate that proves that they're wrong. And therefore, they, they, there's, an, there's an implication to those who hold these opinions that they're right. So this is the quintessential conspiracy theory. As soon as the government doesn't disclose stuff, as soon as the government doesn't tell us things like Area 50 whatever, and, and you know there's all this stuff out there, people think, well, there's a reason they're not telling me these things, and it must be this. And that reason, they may be people may be right, they may be wrong, but the point is they don't know, so they're gonna they're gonna default to what they think it is, and then they're driving themselves, or then the government's driving them underground, where they're gonna find like-minded people who only think the way they do and only act the way they do, and it is never ever dealt with. So if you want to create bad 
racist, white supremacists. I tell you, the best way to do it is to let them live underground and hide and not give them any exposure whatsoever because those kind of people die in the sunshine. They don't function well in the sunshine. And, you know, you're not going to have uh, an, if, if, you're a, if you're a white supremacist, awful, maniacal racist doing these horrible things, it's really difficult to do that in open. Right? It's, it's really because people don't like that. You know, it's like there's not a conspiracy of white supremacists running around like underground, like in um, Men in Black or something, where there's all these aliens. It's like it's not like that. There's a. Uh, it, it, Turns out people were right about Area 51, though. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll, we'll do now. That. The yeah. reason is still up for debate, but there was an Area 51. Well, and if you Super secret. If, if you have if you suppress these opinions and they're they're underground, they're going to grow and they're going to fester. And you know that's what's happening. You know, I guess we were talking earlier about. Um, Dr. Seuss, you know? Yeah. Well, and, I looked that up, well, and, it's, and it's actually the publisher of Dr. Seuss has stopped publishing the, pay, the, yeah. the book. So it's not been banned. They just, but they it's made not this, been banned. They made this decision this is, a year ago. This is what's fascinating, though. This is what's fascinating, though. It has not been banned. Now, what, what uh, there was also a big void in Biden's book recommendation for that. Apparently, he gives like an educational book recommendation mm-hmm. or something. And all of a sudden, Dr. Seuss is not on it. So there's a government uh, rubber stamp of it, and there is a government. There, there is a movement here that is getting, uh, it's getting some legs, and getting traction to ban or not, not, not government ban, but for individuals or private companies to cancel things like mm-hmm. books or your right you to know, fly in a plane. Amazon is saying. We're just not going to sell certain books. Now, this is a huge book supplier, and this is like a library saying we're not going to, or a bookstore saying we're not going to carry a book, and it might be the only place you can get the book, at least for now. And I think there's there's some light at the end of this tunnel because the way things are, this, there's always the pressure has to get relieved somewhere. So there's going to be either a, a, a completely underground black market for these kind of ideas and thoughts, good or bad. But I also think there's going to be alternative markets that emerge. It's just going to take a few years. But like, what's scary is that it is not the. It's almost scarier to me that it's not the public or it's not the government cramming it down. It's the. It's the people themselves, through this movement, to say we don't want to read these books and we don't think our kids should read these books. So we're just not going to publish these books. And this is not like it's some cutting-edge, controversial book that was just released. We're talking about Dr. Seuss. We're talking about, I mean, we've seen this for years with Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer. We've seen this with, uh, there were some others recently that they- that The they Earth, had, My Butt, and other big round things. Yeah, there's there's other, there, there's lots of books that have sort of been uh, questioned or, or taken off the shelves of bookstores, I guess. But now it just seems that people are cool with it. And that's what scares me the most. It's like people are actually cool with saying, well, you know, we don't need this book anyway. We don't need our kids to see this art in Dr. Seuss, and we don't need. Uh, so it's it's good that we're not doing it. And it was, um, it's like Fahrenheit 451, right? They're right. burning books. They're yeah. burning books, and it's the people who don't want them. They're good with it, and uh, I don't. It scares me because if you say we have a book with a horrible message, Grapes of Wrath, my God, The Great Gatsby. Yeah. yeah, say we have a book with a horrible message, and and you just don't think people should. Like, how do you teach? How do you teach a bad message, unless you have the message? You know, it's like, or how do you teach a good message? Let's assume that your good message is the opposite of that bad message. Then how do you teach that only with your good message and not even discussing the bad one? Like, you, if there's nothing to point at and say that's bad, 
then there's no way to judge whether yours is good or not. You can't do it. So you can do it in real time. So right now I know that this is bad and my way is good. But let's say I cancel the bad forever. Then the next generation only knows of your way. Now your way is going to be bad because they're going to say our way is good and we're going to get rid of it. And they never even knew about the one before it. And it's it, so you, there's no way. This is why, you know, if you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it. This is what they're saying. You need to know everything about it. You need to know why they did what they did. You need to know how they did what they did. You need to understand the language they used, the, um, the imagery they used. You need to know it all and use it, if nothing else, as a learning tool of what not to do. You know, it's like, Jared, when you train your employees, do you just say only do it this way? Or do you say, if you do it this way, here's the reason we don't do it this way, because we did this once and here's what happened. And it makes perfect sense. If you don't do that, you end up in uh, chaos, right? This is, this is, uh, people don't understand. Sometimes by pure accident, it, you find a better way to accomplish a goal. You, you've been doing something for six years and then by accident, something changed and you're like, I can't believe I wasn't doing it this way the whole time. Yeah, well, and and uh, we mentioned before recording, one of the authors on the band book list, Chris Kretcher. I've heard him speak a few times. I know him personally. And first of all, when he got on the band book list, his, his numbers went through the roof. He thought that was the best thing mm -hmm. that could happen to him because he was on this list of people that he admired. And number two, he's heard so much feedback from students because it's mostly young adult literature, but it does have these edgy themes to it. It's real life stuff, and and they can relate to it, and it, it actually has drawn these young adults, 12, 13, 14, 16, 18-year-old kids into reading because mm -hmm. they found a book, characters that actually related to their life. Am imagine mm -hmm. that. Imagine that, right? Mm -hmm. And that's uh, – so, it, boy, that brings up a lot of questions. One, if you have – so his book sold more. Here's what, here's what worries me. And it's like the Fahrenheit 451 thing is that the, I think the firemen were, um, I mean, that was like a government agency, I suppose. And they were, they were employed to go burn books. But it, it's like, when does that happen? Like when, like if our government 20 years ago said, we're going to create a banned book list and we're going to force um, Amazon not to sell. We're going to force Borders Books not to sell. We're going to force this publisher not to publish. We're never going to permit this author again from publishing book. People would have revolted in short order. Mm -hmm. The only way that changes is if it happens the other way, is if, if, the, if our populace somehow says, we think that this book should be canceled and this book should be canceled and it should never be published. And this is what we're talking about with the, with the executive orders, right? Because if you agree with the order, people tend to say, well, I'm cool with that power. But so now... It's like if, if Biden issued an executive order that said Dr. Seuss is canceled, we're no longer going to you know, let the school libraries have that book by executive order, it seems to me that there's a good number of people in the population that would be absolutely cool with that, and it's because they agree. Now, what if, they, what if Biden then used that power to cancel um, uh, the 1619 Project? I'm going to cancel the 1619 Project. No, nobody's ever allowed to read that again. People would be up in arms, but it's the same power, right? That's the problem. It's mm -hmm. the same power. The same power that banned one is going to ban the other, and that's what the short-sighted nature of all this is. That's why you have to let – you can't give them the power in the first place. It's like you just can't do it. The people you think wielding the power in your favor today will do it in the opposite tomorrow, and if not, somebody will kill that person and they'll do it in the opposite next year. Yeah. So it's, was um, it Stalin that called those people useful idiots? Yeah. Or no, or was it Lenin? It was – it was, <coughs> but that's an old Soviet thing, right? Yeah. Just useful idiots and – 
they're just going to go along because they think they agree with the message and they're outraged over it and whatever it is. I'm so well, they're actually going to facilitate it, but then what they don't understand is it's going to get turned right around back on you. It, it always does. It always right? does. And, you know, I think as far as the cancel culture, we're seeing this. Like there's people then on that side of things that would cancel somebody yesterday. Now they're getting canceled today. Well, and, and what's so distressing about all this, it's so black and white. It's like we're not perfect. Nobody's been perfect. Right. I, I mean, what are you going to – are you going to erase your own history? Well, this is the problem. Because you don't yeah. like one little thing of it? It's like there's – and that's what I don't like about regulators. Because they never go away unless you put checks on them. They're, because they have to, by definition, their job will go away. <laughs> it, it will, well, that's, unless uh, they keep regulating. That's the that's the point, right? And they're going to regulate to the populace if you if you follow that logic. And if they, if their if their opinion is unpopular yet right, right? Far all, I mean, how could that possibly happen, right? <laughs> if your opinion is unpopular but right, they're not going to do the right thing. They're going to do the popular thing, and that's you wouldn't expect anything else. And, you know, this notion that somehow the other the other big problem with this, I guess, that I see is people are willing to cancel entire bodies of work based on what I almost would be an insignificant detail within the body of work. And that's true, I think, not only of individuals, but also their art, their their products, their work. So you're going to say that's like saying I'm never buying a Chevy again because the Chevette I had in 1988 had a faulty uh, brake switch or something, you know, and it's like. All right. It, it doesn't leave any room for human nature that is imperfect, as, Jay, as the exchequer pointed out. It's like if we're imperfect, then nobody's going to be perfect and nobody's body of work is going to be perfect. And you can't discount everything based on one like one bad opinion at one time in somebody's life shouldn't contaminate a completely rational body of work otherwise, unless it does. And then you should be able to at least point to it and say, well, he was here's the linchpin of his argument, and it was wrong because he believed this, and this, this, this was. It turns out that that changed the equation for everything. Well, that's a different story, but we're not. They don't even go down that far. It's like, all right, we're just not going to have this book, and we're not going to have anything this guy ever said is now forgotten because he once said something bad. Well, we don't. Well, we don't let capitalism actually work in its favor. There are six books that they're not going to publish anymore. Four of those, I. I'm not that familiar with Dr. Seuss, but I've never heard of them before. So, right. were they were they selling like hotcakes? Which anyway? ones were they? If you uh, let me <coughs> put them down. So, so Mulberry Street, the Mulberry Street. If I ran the zoo, were the two biggies. Oh, if and, I ran the zoo, yeah, really? Yeah, and Magellagot's Mag- Pool. Uh, <laughs> let's see, scrambled egg okay. super cats quizzer. And or beyond Z. Cat's Quizzer? Yeah. I've never seen that one. I mean, no, I you know, know. I, I don't know that. I know Wacky Wednesday. I think that was what my favorite one was Wacky yeah. Wednesday. Yeah. So. How about there's a walk-in in my if pocket? If they're not selling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if they're or, not selling any. You know what I mean? Let me. It, right. No, your point is yeah. this. Is that like what they have done here is only a signal of some sort of perceived virtue. That's it. And it has no value one way or another because they it's not like they it's, were getting disseminated. It, yeah, they anyway. weren't selling. It's like this. we're going to stop publishing those books because nobody's buying them. At least say that. Now, right. here's what else is interesting right. is that it also, <laughs> the arrogance of it to think that I as a parent am not capable of, of uh, metering in right. the information that my kids take in in some reasonable way to educate them 
is saying, I can do it better than you can. I know more than you. I am a better arbiter of what your kids should learn and not learn than you are as a parent. And to them, I say, go F yourself again. You know, it's like, if you don't think that I can decide what's best for my children to learn or not learn or better or even worse, you think you can do it better than uh, uh, 2020 is a complete example of that. These people are acting like we don't know how to take care of ourselves. Right. Yeah. And that's seriously, the, that's the thing. Like we somehow need help from somebody else to to decide what I read. And this is the same argument I had back in the 80s when they were putting warning labels on everything. Right. It's like I need. I didn't need any government telling me that the music had bad language in it. It's like, right. you know, screw that. I well, know, I you know what it's all about. You haven't gorilla glued your hair to your head yet. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, well, at least at least the publisher is is self-regulating themselves and nobody else is really coming out and doing yeah, it. I can live with that, though. But at the same time, it's still disturbing. So the question well, is why? Goes, so so did, they, did, they, did, they, did they do this for a reason? Let's, let's, let's think I'll, back to this. And I can tell you So if they're, why if they they're not selling those books and they're like, look, they ain't selling, so we're not going to make them anyhow. But because there's a couple pictures that weren't that good in there, we'll go ahead and show how woke we are. And uh, that's why we're banning them. Yeah. Let's not say we're banning them because they ain't selling. Let's just say we're banning them because, you know, we just don't really like what's in it. And we're not going to publish them anymore. And, then, because... and what's happened now is that, you know I mean, the top selling books right now are, are, are Dr. Seuss. Mm-hmm. Right. So, well, you know, I yeah, mean, I, I don't point. know if that's it, but really, I mean, it could be. This is the and, unintended consequence, yep. right? Well, so. and, and they're not publishing them anymore. This is, this is the gist of it because the National Education Association says it no longer partners with the Dr. Seuss Company for Read Across America. It's a year-round push for parents this and families to read. Thing. So this is the government action. That's This it. is the government NEA action. NEA says we're not going to work with you anymore and until you a, pull those four or those a, six. Until you black, blackmail me. Blackmail yeah. me. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and then, yeah, their comment at Un- the end is that they will work to, you know, to, to promote uh, here. Ceasing sales of these books is only part of our commitment and our broader plan to ensure Dr. Seuss Enterprises' catalog represents and supports all communities and families. I don't think he's publishing anymore, is he? No. He's dead. No. Yes. Yeah, he's dead. No, and this is a piece of history. So therefore they're they're redefining their own catalog yeah. even more. Yeah, and what and this is this makes it even more sinister, right? Because that is a government action in reverse. You know, it's like the go- we're gonna do it because we wanna stay on this this list. And if we don't do this, we're off this list and we're not gonna have sales, generally speaking. So they're uh-huh. they're basically can the government's and I don't know the organization that you mentioned, but I think it's probably funded by some government dollars. It, it, National Education Educators Association, basically, you know, teachers and educators come together. My mom was in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, a teacher. so they're, they're fairly powerful to a, sway what well, you do read. Yeah. And I, I would yeah. suspect no. that they I mean, have. And my uh, mom couldn't stand them mm. because so, my mom was a teacher and she didn't. There's no way she would ever ban any books. Mm. And this is why, look, I hate nationalized education. I hate a nationalized curriculum. I think I find that to be uh, horrid um, for also for these reasons, right? Because it's somebody in another state or another government entity telling me what, what my kid needs to learn or not learn is, is, and then forcing it is the same as uh, censorship, right? That the, so they're censoring what they can't learn or what they shouldn't well, learn. Right here on their website, it says NEA join our movement. Right. Well, that, yeah. Well, what's uh, that? This Your movement like, to what? This is like the bar association dictating what the law is. You know, it's not. Um, it's it's bad. It's bad practice. But no, so that's why it happens. And this is what catches on now. Now, if the government said we're going to pass a law that gives us the power to decide what books are going to be published or not, then you're going to have a you, like we're developing a, a, an attitude in our country where people are going to be cool with that. Yeah. And I mean that's that's what. 
I, I and, and I read some piece in MSNBC. I should pull it up and read it. But it, it had to do like this guy was saying. Well, this is all because of Trump. <laughs> it was like so. It, like Trump made some tweet about the out. He had some outrage about now nah, they won't even let you read Doctor Seuss. Look what they're trying to do to you. And you know this is like this, this MSNBC guy instead of taking on the actual argument that wait a minute. Sometimes bad ideas are okay to be out there or bad things are okay to be out there, even if it's just to teach kids what's bad, right? So there's a, there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for this. Now, his position was people are only against this because it threatens their culture and their way of life. And I say, you know what? You're right, but not the way you're saying it. It threatens our freedom. And it threatens that's that's our culture, and that is my way of life is freedom, freedom to think stupid stuff, freedom to think good stuff, freedom to freedom to look at Larry Flint's awful pornography if that's what I want to do, freedom to to read trashy magazines, freedom to read trashy romance novels that talk about all sorts of horrible things, freedom to freedom to do the things that I like to do to explore my intellectual curiosities in a way that doesn't harm others. Now they are saying we think the government should be the arbiter of what those things are. And that does threaten my culture and my way of life. And it has nothing to do with not not being tolerant of other ideas. In fact, it's quite the opposite. So I, that's my— that's Well, my I idea. get this pushback all the time about uh, losing whatever rights. You know, I, I'm very, very adamant about that. Any right that's taken away, we're never getting back again. And I get the, the argument is, well, how does this even affect you? I implore yeah, yeah. everyone to look at 2020. That's how they affect you. Well, this is and moving forward, that's how you're affected, this and it's is, going to affect how you make money, where you can make money, your livelihood, how you take care of your family. If if people don't understand that now, people should be rioting in the streets for all the good reasons. Wow. There's, <laughs> you know, this this affects everybody. And and nobody at the same time, right? Because it's like this. Um, you know, there, there's the, you can't even name the names, but but you know, C.S. Lewis has great quotes about this. It's like your freedom is going to be most threatened by those who do it in the name of your own safety. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it, it is because that what he's saying really is what that what what that's really saying is that oh it, this it's going to come in the back door. It's going to come in in a way that you're good with. You're going to let the Trojan mm-hmm. horse in. And then they take over. It's the old uh, yeah. frog in a pot. And if you, that's exactly right. So the old frog in the pot is that if you put a frog in boiling water, it dies immediately or it won't go in because it's so hot. But if you put a frog in cold water and slowly turn up the heat, it'll stay there and won't jump out until it's dead. It, it doesn't have a choice or it doesn't have a, uh, it doesn't know better. And when it comes in a sinister way like that, it comes dressed up like help, then uh, the, the threats on your freedom are gone or take your freedom away before you even know they're gone. And this is the problem that, that people are missing is that we have, we are get, we are trading our freedom for virtue and our perceived safety. And for those two things, our freedom is not worth those two things. As far as I'm concerned, I, I think our freedom is worth far more than those two things. It's, yep. it's worth far more than those two things all day long. But you've heard it. And I think it, it, a lot of people have felt Texas, you know, right now when you hear Texas, you kind of hear freedom. Mm-hmm. No matter yeah. what their grid does. You know what I mean? No well, matter what let's it, go there yeah. now because that was once in a thousand year snowstorm. So <laughs> let's go to Texas now. We're good for another thousand years. <laughs> We're good. Uh, here's another history nugget from Steve. What a great quote, Steve, that first one. The task of the modern educator is not to cut down jungles, but to irrigate deserts. That is 
awesome. My mom would love that. Yeah, he's got a great quote out there on uh, on the danger of uh, uh, like beware of of uh, threats on your freedom that come under the guise of offering help and safety. And this is, you know, these are uh, people say, "Well, see, oh, he was just a white Christian guy. What did he know?" Um, man, that's pretty insightful. I think. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I'll bet you, I'll bet you at some time he probably used a bad word. I'll bet you at some point he probably, uh, uh, hurt somebody he didn't and he, and he regretted it or maybe he didn't even regret it. But is that, but is, are those ideas any less valid? And this is another part of this that drives me nuts is that we are willing to throw out the credibility of all these people just because of one thing or even a, a mild thing and say none of the stuff they ever said was bad. So I, I get this with the Constitution all the time. Well, it was written by a bunch of old white guys that owned slaves. I was like, yeah, some of them did probably. And, you know, they were older and they were white. You know, now what part of the Constitution would you change? Right, right. And well, and most people have not even read it. You know, it's funny. So I'm just sitting back here. I'm listening to everybody and, and thinking about last year and all this stuff. And what this we're really talking about symptoms of a larger problem and the larger problem is education these are feelings of the ignorant people who say that it's just a bunch of dumb white guys and slave owners who put together the constitution they don't know anything about our founding we have lost our knowledge that's what all of this boils down to and we're being canceled by feelings well, feelings based on, and I'm not saying nobody should have feelings, but what I'm saying is there's there's objective fact, there's reality, and it's all this, all this cancel culture is, is feelings. Oh, it hurt my feelings. So here's like, I'll say the most, I'll say the most controversial thing I'll probably say all day is like, there are probably plenty of awful, horrible slave owning racists in our history that had a lot of good ideas and a lot of bad ideas. And in my history, personally, I've had a lot of good ideas, and I've had a lot of bad ideas. Hitler had a lot of bad ideas, but yeah. he had a lot of good ideas. Right. So it's like he did. He did. Right. There's like, like this notion that Hitler and Mussolini got crap running on time. It's not quite true, actually, with Mussolini, but they say he got the trains running on time. And I, and I remember hearing this early on in, in grades. They probably don't even teach us crap anymore. But I remember hearing it's like. They took up, they took so much power that everything became organized. But the cost of that was they had so much power and could wield it in such horrible, awful ways. And then what's the balance there? And I've and I've I've said this for twenty years now, as I practice twenty five as I practice law. It's like, look, you want to get rid of crime? It's really easy. Just get rid of the Constitution, get rid of the Bill of Rights, uh, give the police and the government all the power in the world to define what crime is, and then stop what they define crime as. And you're not gonna have any more crime. If you're not going to leave your house and there's jackboots waiting when you walk out, you are gonna, you won't commit a crime. If if you are if you are caught doing something and you're shot on sight, whether you're guilty or not, then you will not crime will be gone. Sounds like 2020. Yeah, you'll be gone. <laughs> and it's really easy, and it just is. Uh, so I don't know. I think Jay, in some sense, you're right. Is that now we're, we're like we're a couple steps removed from people actually not pondering. In 17, I remember 17, or 1976, the 4th of July parade, 
uh, getting ready in my neighborhood. And the bicentennial. The bicentennial was a big deal. Carter, All the fire hydrants were painted. But the I you know I wasn't old enough to recognize Brett. You may remember now that you're what are you eighty or so? But it's, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, there was a time. There was a time in the seventies that our country was in a really bad spot. Right there were lines at the gas tank or the gas line or at the gas stations. There was. Mortgages were in the double digits and government policies. Buy a house and it was a lot of bad government and people didn't, people were feeling bad about the government. But somehow I remember like 17 or 1976, like it was a big damn deal. It was like, man, this is the bicentennial. I dressed up like the, we had the, the, the guy with the, the three soldiers walking, one with yeah, a the limp and one with the, the flute or the, yeah, and, and, the drum. and the snare drum. And, yeah. and some neighborhood kids and I, we dressed up and we walked in the parade and did all that stuff. And we, you know, we really got into it and we loved the, like, we still love the country. Even the hippies were walking around with red, white, and blue stuff. And it was like. Cadillac had white Cadillac Eldorado convertibles with red and blue trim yeah. that were done up there. That's beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. I remember my father had a helicopter that uh, they had painted the boom. You know, I mean, and it had the eagle with the with the you know, mean with the arrows and, and yeah, oh yeah, and it, oh, you know, I mean, sweet. it was bicentennial painted on there, and <clears throat> you know, they, I mean, it was their company helicopter. That's what they did. They they flew this helicopter, but they, you know, they took their time to paint it onto there. You know, I mean, right right on the boom of it, and it 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 said something, right? And then shortly after that, man, I came in. I was here in the studio working over the weekend, and my son came in with me, and. Uh, you know, I remember as my everybody has this experience. Hey, son, we're gonna go do some work, and you're thinking, really? <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna go play with. You know, no, 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 man, it'll be fun. We're gonna do some work together. So he comes in the studio, and he's helped me deal with pull some wires around and do some different things. And he goes, "Can I watch the movie?" And I said, "Yeah, you can watch a movie." And I, and it, it somehow I it either came up or I'd been looking for it, but the the movie uh, Miracle came up. Uh, it's the the with Kurt Russell about the the 1980. Uh, Olympics, the hockey team. And man, it, it just like even seeing that, like think what that was in history. It's like, like was that 88? 80. 80. 80. 1980. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 80. And yeah. we had just gone through a decade of crap in the 70s of awfulness of the hostages of Carter and, and then in like Vietnam and Nixon and like think of all that. Watergate. Oh, Watergate. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, the shootings like uh, the, the, the guy, uh, the, the, who's the guy who's shooting people from the top of buildings? Oh, the guy in, te- in the University of Texas, Texas. I climbing the tower, and yeah. then uh, the yeah. the kaleidoscope, or not the kaleidoscope guy, the the, the serial killer out in San Francisco. Anyway, all that, yeah. yeah, it's like all that crap was going on. Son of Sam, it's like Son of Sam, this, yeah. Son of Sam. Mm-hmm. It was like such a horrible experience, and but at the same time, flourishing were things like art. Look at all the awesome movies in the seventies. Um, you know, The Godfather and and Dog Day Afternoon. Um, for me, um, like three Al Pacino and Justice for All, Patton, uh, Star Wars, Patton. Um, you know, it just like it was such an interesting decade. And then comes, but it, it like people had a bad feeling about the country. You know, interest rates were high, unemployment was through the roof, everybody was losing their jobs. The 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 Rust Belt began, and uh, the auto industry was tanking. I mean, just all this crap. And then, and then the Russians, you know, we, we got to play against the Russians who are our arch enemies. And we always felt like they were beating us in everything we did. And, and, uh, that movie was awesome. I watched that. It was in the background as I was working here and Matthew and I were watching it, man, it was awesome. I mean, just the, the story itself is awesome. And I remember as a kid watching that, that hockey tournament, we ended up going out that and playing hockey in the streets and playing hockey in our backyards. Cause it was cold that year. Just like, I, I it really is sort of incredible. And you just don't feel like now that any that it, it, any we're anywhere close to that. People hate the country, 
and and I don't know I don't know what to do about it. It's just it's like people. There's no pride in being. If you say I love That's this because country, because we we've been dumbed down and we've been taught not to love it. It's like if you say I love no, this not country, not me, but I'm saying the generation after us. I know, like somehow it's bad, and yeah. there's parts of it that are horrible, I guess, and there's parts of it that aren't so horrible, and there's parts of it that are awesome. But it's like. If you say now I love this country, then you're going to be oh you're a nationalist and you must be bad racist whatever you are. It's like it's 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 sort of interesting to me that that we're seeing it. I do think that well, they're you being taught that in school, Steve. I know they are, but there, you, it, there's going to be a backlash. You can't you can't. You, well, here's here here's what I ask people. It's like where are you going to go? Well, no, seriously, where are you going to go other than here? Why not make here better then if it's so bad? Right. Yeah, you can't. Well, see, that's the problem. The version of better is 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 not is, is what is no freedom, right? <laughs> is what is, no. Is, I mean, is, but what? Well, there is no better. Is engineered society. If you really, I think that's what people like. The utopians always want to engineer right. society to be what they think it ought to be. And oh my god, you know, it seems like there's been this cat and mouse game of power struggle throughout human history. Of this, it's like I'm going to make Rome this way. I'm going to make Greece this way. I'm going to make uh, Germany this way. I'm going to make Italy this way. I'm going to make Russia this way. I'm going to make the United States this way instead of this way. And, you know, it just seems that the, the, the ebb and flow of it is just changed right now. And I, I don't think you're going to end it. I, I just don't think that the, there still is this notion of, I don't know, as, as a history major, I look back on different times, like in 1776, people didn't want to fight the war. They're like, most of the country didn't, wasn't in, they weren't in it, but then it ends up in their backyard. <laughs> you know, and, and now they're in it, and it's like, ah, oh, now all right, well, now now we got a problem, and we deal with it. And in the War of eighteen twelve, sort of similar, like sort of a stupid war, but the British were impressing our soldiers in in the open seas and making us they were attacking our ships and making us fight for them. And you know, most of the country didn't care because they didn't have any stake in it, no skin in it. And then and then Britain does something stupid, like burn the White House. Right. <laughs> and invade Washington D.C. It's like, all right, MFers, it's a gone game on. Now. Game yeah, on. Yeah. It's like, why'd you do that? You know, we didn't care. <laughs> right. You know, and then World War Two or World War One and Two. It's like we didn't want to get involved in World War Two. We were isolationists. We lost too many people in World War One. Like, we don't need to go defend these people anymore. They're all crazy <clears throat> anyway. What are we doing? Screw that. We're America isolationists. And then the Japanese do something stupid like bomb Pearl Harbor and kill a bunch of our people. It's like, all right, now it's game on and we're going to go. And how, you know, Vietnam never got legs because it was never popular. I don't think Korea ever got legs because it was never really popular. But had the Koreans attacked us in some way, then it would have been different. I think the, I think our, our the <coughs> core, the heart and soul of this country wakes up when it needs to. That's, that's sort of my point of this. Yeah. True. To defend what they know to be right, which is a free society that creates as much freedom as it can. Well, that's the thing, for Steve. Everybody. They're not taught that that we're free. No, they're not. They, um, and they, they, the children today have no idea. And I'm not saying it's their fault. I'm saying it's our fault. Well, no, it, but it is and it isn't, right? So there's, uh, they are and they aren't. Well, I no, think, we've put up with these school boards. We funded these school boards. We've you know, said, eh, whatever, and just push our kids through, and now we get what we get. I'm not, but I don't think the kids are all, I, I think the kids are, are still open books. I think, the, I think the story is yet to be written. I think there's lots more to come, and I think we are, look, there were times in our country that we experienced some more things, you know, in this, in we just talked about the 70s, it was an awful time, and, you know, there was a lot of bad government policy getting crammed down that didn't really work, and there was a lot of backlash, but it, it the ship righted very quickly, and then 
you know, again, if you just go way back in history, there's a lot of times, even the Great Depression and other things where it it, it came back and then our country was better than ever. And I don't see how that's, I don't see that's, a, that's not out of reach yet, at least not yet. And ultimately though, I think what I think if we're going to get back to what we we're talking about, it's like if you give the government actors too much power to do whatever their whim is, even under the guise of virtue, then you're you're endangering that stuff. And if the message in the books is getting quashed, then you know you're not you're not helping anybody. And, and I can't even don't even fault the motives. Like say for instance that they really think that this is bad for our kids. To you know you still have to. It doesn't mean that the policy of banning things is right. It doesn't mean that suppressing this stuff is right. I think the opposite. I think you're going to end up with opposite of the intended consequences. You're missing a teaching, teachable moment. If nothing else. If nothing else. <laughs> and that's an what they're supposed to be. They're teachers. So take what's bad and good and well, figure out the middle. And what did we look, learn? Look how those teachers are reacting. And my mom was a teacher. I come from educators, and I love teachers. But my mom couldn't teach in today's today's environment in what they're calling teachers. This well, is absolutely it's it's unbelievable what has happened. You know, it's it's the education and, the, and this happened. I think this is under. I'm reading a great book right now in the Great Society. But there was a time when education was not controlled by the federal government. Right. And it wasn't that long ago. It was, I mean, was, we're talking going back to local. 1960. Yeah. Local. Country. Yeah, we're all yeah. involved. Right. And, and you know, the the problem with everybody thinks, well, what's wrong with the federal government control? And it's like, because you have to trust the people who are cramming down the curriculum and you have to trust the people that are and, part of it. And one size doesn't always fit all. And, and the notion that somehow the people aren't themselves capable of figuring out how to educate their kids or their, in their community is, is, is contrary to what our country was founded on. This notion of, I don't know, there was a time, I guess, when if you went to Indiana, it was like going to a different country. Yeah, and, totally. You know, and I'm not saying that was all good, but the, the point was is that we were individual sovereign states and that had some value. And now it seems like, and, and there's a reason for that because I know here in Columbus, Ohio, what works and what doesn't when I engage in my business. I know I, I th- this is a very, uh, this, this town has a character. It's got a flavor and I know it. I don't know that about Cincinnati. I don't know that about Cleveland. I have some ideas, but I don't live there and I don't work there and I don't have my finger on that pulse. I don't know that necessarily about Westerville and Jared, you do. I don't know that about uh, what it's like in Indianapolis. Not that I couldn't learn those things, but the point is it's like, if you're going to have a diverse citizenship, then that's what you get, a diverse citizenship. Everybody's different. You have this diversity of, of culture within within towns that you have to understand and, and work with. But And that, that's the idea of the, of the local control. But yeah, anyway, I don't know what the hell we're talking about anymore. Books burning and, and, well, and the Blitz. Uh, here's something, if you guys have never read uh, this book or read about it, uh, it's something that is absolutely spectacular. Washington's Immortals. Uh, if you want to give your kids some history... It's about 400 guys, self-funded. These guys came up from Maryland. They're self-funded, basically elite troops who basically saved the Continental Army from 10,000 freaking Hessians that invaded Long Island. They all got wiped out, and the only thing that's left today of that stand is like a plaque. And I can't even read it because I get too choked up. What these guys did is, is... what I'm saying, we've we've completely lost as a society. They didn't have to come up there. Yeah, but let me give you the other side of that. Here, here here's 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 the point I think you're missing, and, and that is this: if you ask them four years before 
that event, whether they would do it, they probably would have said, no freaking way. I got my kids here. I got my family over here. I got to deal with this over here. I got problems. I don't have time for that nonsense. We don't need to fight them anyway. And, you know, it's like, you don't, you know, I, I think these kind of emergencies and these kind of catastrophes and these kind of disasters and these kind of um, tragedies, they, you know, they, they give an opportunity for character to emerge in ways that it would never emerge otherwise. So, Jared, you, you told me a story one time about you were working in a disaster situation with your dad and there was a neighbor's house who had flooded or something. It was my, da- it was my dad's house. Your dad's house. Okay. And uh, a neighbor came along and says, uh, you know, you guys were all working your tails off. Well, you tell the story. Yeah, we were just, we were out there and, and, and they lived a, a river had bottlenecked during some heavy rain and uh, they had a tri-level house and it got flooded out and literally down to his building and everything. I mean, busted out the windows and washed out all the stuff. I mean, my brother literally ran upstairs as he was, the basement was flooding in. His clothes and everything's laying out. And uh, needless to say, one, one, somebody stopped by and said, uh, is there anything I can do? And uh, my dad just kind of walked on. And later in the day, he told me, he said, you see that one guy showed up and he asked me if there's anything to do. He said, look around. All my belongings, everything I've worked for for this long is laying in my yard. He was like, if he wanted to do something, he would have just started. You know, I, I don't have to tell you because there was so much. I mean, you could just look at the devastation. You just look around. It was, it was, a, it was a mess. There were cars that were turned over. I mean, this flood came through, and it was like, yeah, you can, you can help us clean up. I mean, down in my, you know, my neighbors, there were plenty of good neighbors out that came down. All right. I mean, so you know he's, I mean? not the, he's not and, indicative of the norm. Yeah, no, no. So, like, you know, I mean, in they fact, came, the gave my brother clothes. They brought us food. And once again, if you wanted to help out, just start picking stuff up. I mean, there was debris everywhere. There was things yeah. everywhere. And uh, it was just, but he said that, you know, people that want to help, they'll just start. They'll do it. So good, these, these kind of things expose good character. They don't create it. And, or, and expose bad character. They don't create it. You know, <clears throat> it's like that is it. And, you know, there are times when, here's a, a, not even near the situation you had, but I came home and there was that windstorm, bad rainstorm came through a couple summers ago. I remember it. And I, I was driving along, and I actually saw, like, utility poles come almost all the way down and then pop back yeah. up. It was crazy. And I got back, and we got back and to the house, and it, it had gone as fast as it came. And uh, I looked up the street, and there was a, a tree down across the street. And the I na- had a tree fall on my house. Yeah, and a neighbor was out there with, a like, a, like, a, like a carpenter handsaw, not even a power saw, like a carpenter handsaw trying to cut it. And I got a chainsaw in a garage. And I said, Drury, go get the chainsaw. I'm going to walk up there. And he's like, well, yeah, but we're supposed to go blah, 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 blah. And we had something to do. And I said, get the saw. Let's go up there and, and we'll get this cut up. And then we'll deal with what we have to deal with. Now, if you had asked me in advance if I were going to forego whatever activity that I had, and it's like you, 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 it's hard to even perceive what you would do. You can't even perceive the, the situation in advance. You just have to react to it. And so back to your point, Jay, is like would these people have said uh, or even contemplated doing something like that years before, probably not. And they might have even said no. But when given the opportunity, when it arose, when the emergency was there, when they needed to get on that hill and hold back the Brits so the American army under George Washington could retreat and save itself and save the Continental Army and then go on to win the war. Because as, as you pointed out, one of the what's interesting, yep. fascinating about Washington is early on that he was the greatest general of, ever, of all by avoiding battles. Right? Yeah, and he also lost. <laughs> his retreat was the greatest retreat yeah. of all time. So he won in his, when, his, when he knew to retreat. And, you know, they got out of there at dark. They, they created these bunkers, and the fog helped them too, I believe, in that battle. But yeah. anyway, the, 
the the point is is that when people, I think our country particularly, has to wake up and respond, it does. And so far, for how many years have we had it so good? It's like we're we're inventing problems that don't even exist. I mean, we're we're like this is horrible. These all this awful stuff. And I'm thinking, yeah, get off your iPhone and start going out and digging ditches or something. Make it get make yourself miserable so you can experience what good is. So I I think I I don't I'm not I'm not giving up. I think there's uh, I see character all over the place. I see character in my sons at times. Went over to help Jared one time cut up a thing, and you know who did I have? Maddie. I had Maddie yeah, that Maddie. day. Yep. Yeah, and you know he probably didn't do what he, he, he did what he could, but he was yeah. doing something. Yeah, and he was proud to to walk around and 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 be part of the crew with the guys cutting up a stump and doing whatever the hell we were doing. And he he took some pride in that. And all right, well, I mean, I can't take all the credit for that. I still think there's some inherent character in what we have. So he, uh, you know, he didn't just sit there and run away and not contribute. And I think most people in that situation do contribute. And uh, some people don't know what to do, like this guy. But you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying about this anymore. Other than, it, when the opportunity arises, I am at least holding on to hope that the country will do what it needs to do to preserve its freedom. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. Yep. And that may be at the voting ballot. It may, or at the vote or at the ballot box. It might be. Something more, hopefully not more than than uh, than just political debate. But I, I think generally, when freedom is curtailed to a point that is intolerable, like we were talking before, it's like people are done with these damn masks and they're done with this damn lockdown. They're done not seeing football games and baseball games and going to festivals and fairs. So they're just gonna start doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's done when we say it's done. I believe that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is a simmering. Uh, people are, are. It's almost like they're waiting for St. Patrick's Day. That's what I'm hearing. People are like busting right. out. They're, I'm, I heard it last night at one of my neighbors. They're oh, like, wow. and they're you know very good rule followers, and they're like, we are done. Yep. And you know, it came up on the blitz. This is just take it right back home. Then we end it. It came up on the blitz. I have never been asked two weeks in advance about St. Patrick's Day. Every year they ask, yeah. oh, St. Patrick's yeah. Day this week. What do you expect? Any advice for people? And, you know, it's just like a day or two away. But this is two weeks away. Yeah. yeah. It's like I, it wasn't even on my radar screen. <laughs> it's funny. This is like the third reference to St. Patrick's Day I've had in the last two days. We are, People are just fed up. And that's what I mean, man. It's like when your freedom is curtailed for too long, it's not our human nature to accept it. We just It, it won't work. And virus schmirus. <laughs> it's like. Hey, how about we uh, stroll down memory lane just for uh, shits and giggles and uh, a fun thing, happy thing to end on? Here's your best movies of the 70s. All right, so we got The Godfather 1 and 2. 1 and 2. We got Alien. Alien. Yeah. One of my absolute favorite sci-fi 79. movies. I 79. I would have guessed 80. The Conversation. I don't even no. know that movie. Apocalypse Now. Awesome. Wow. Young, <laughs> good comedy, <laughs> Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's. It's pro- probably my most favorite Jack Nicholson film of all time. Deer Hunter. Dear, oh my God, Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver, Exorcist. Ooh, the ex- oh my God. Murder on Mur- the Orient Express. Star Wars. Star Wars. I mean, that just took over. Uh, Chinatown, that's a free. Oh, there's your Dog Day Afternoon. The Sting. The Sting. Clockwork Orange. Holy shnikes. Jaws. Jaws, that scared the crap out of me. Oh, man, didn't it? Ooh. I lived on a lake, Table Rock Lake. <laughs> <and> I saw <laughs> that. And it was a lake, so I knew there were no yeah. sharks in there. <laughs> But we would swim in it all the time and snorkel stuff, and I was always there were big catfish. There yeah. were there were jaw sized catfish out there, but uh, 
Yeah, I was always scared. Dude, of that. the French Duel? Connection, oh, Poppy Doyle, Dude, arguably the greatest uh, car chase ever filmed. Yeah, going in the L's in yeah. Chicago. Yeah, yeah, the Duel. That's a creepy oh, movie. No. What's that the San is? Francisco movie with uh, Steve Bullet. McQueen? Bullet. That's oh, a great car Bullet. chase in that too. Yeah. Oh, dude, Deliverance. Whew. Saul. Oh Texas my God, Chainsaw. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That came out in '74. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Oh my that God. Was a scary one. Monty Python. Life of Brian. His life's a piece Kramer. of shit. When you really look there at it. There you go. Here, this gets into my bridge too far. Bridge right. too far. All those old war movies they made. Sleuth. Papillon. Yeah. Papillon. Oh, oh man. Escapes from jail. Dude, this is just dirty a hairy, dirty hairy. I just watch out my boys, man. Dude, this this the seventies. I didn't really realize, but look at all the topics they're touching on. That's like superstition, you, science, it's fiction. It's like art, art, art reflected in the seventies. Oh my god! The real human experience, not this perceived uh, idea of what it should be. You know, it, I mean, this right. were, th- these were dirty. These were like uh, gritty, dirty stories. Like even Star Wars itself. Like it, what's fascinating about Star Wars is that it was the first time, and this isn't my idea. I heard somebody else say this, but it was the first time that all of a sudden space was reflected. Not as perfect, and the point was that if you look at ba- if you look at all the space movies up until that time, the spaceships were flawless. Right there, there wasn't like dirt where the exhaust was coming out. There wasn't like mechanical issues. It was all flawless. In Star Wars, all of a sudden, it was dirty. You know, it's like you could see the Millennium Falcon had like wear and tear on it. Not only exactly, yeah, you know, yeah, and and things weren't flawless. It was dirty. It reflected grit. And uh, and that was the seventies. Some me. of the robots were haywire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three days of the Condor. Dirty yeah. Harry. Oh man. All the presents. All the presents. Men. men. Clute. Being there. Escape, Escape from, from Alcatraz. Marathon man. Oh my god. Yeah. China syndrome. China syndrome. The fifth seal. Rocky. 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 Can't forget Rocky. about Rocky. Dude, Rocky. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, oh this yeah. is spectacular. Halloween. Man, that's some creepy stuff they got going on yeah. in the 70s. And Halloween, Halloween, that's, that's, was, a scar- that, that was that's creepy, creepy, but there wasn't a lot of gore in no, it. No, it was suspense. always the suspense yeah. of waiting. You know, and that creepy you'd piano. you see Michael, and then he's gone. Oh, man. And, yeah, and the creepy piano. And, yeah. uh, and you know, that's a great point, because, again, not my idea, but I heard, I've read this, is that the genre in the 70s, these horror movies, it was almost by accident. It sort of started with Jaws, is that the, the shark they had was a piece of shit. Yeah, this mechanical so Leviathan mess. Yeah, so they, they <laughs> he exchanged the shark for music, and you never really saw you didn't see the monster until the end, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it became really, yeah. really, really mm-hmm. scary as a result. Mm-hmm. Scary so, the unknown, and the music yeah. told you when the shark was close because he couldn't show it to you. Right, and then Alien did the same mm-hmm. thing, and so did Halloween yeah, with it, the damn piano. Oh, yeah. here he comes, man! But you don't see him. And, well, isn't that just like the old books? The best books of all time. It's all about suspense. It's yeah. all building up. It, that's Hitchcock, right? And, yeah, so, Hitchcock, Hitchcock, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the Holy there's Grail. A, there's a, a great one. Hitchcock uh, uh, documentary on Psycho. And uh, I think it's on Netflix. I, I found it the other day. I watched, I watched it when I was bored. Network. Uh, there's one of my faves. Kelly's Heroes, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Have great. you seen who's in? I mean, Clint Eastwood, Kelly Savalas, Don Rickles, Carol O'Connor. Don as, Rickles. Oh Rickles. yeah, Don Rickles. Right. He's crap, crapshoot or whatever, crap game. Oh, <laughs> Annie Hall, Midnight Express, Dirty Dozen was one. one the of Dirty Dozen is one of my absolute favorite movies. A cop, Day, Day of the Jackal, Day of the Jackal. Family, Family Plot. Plot. That's a Hitchcock. Is it okay? Tent Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised that's not canceled. I forgot. I, I've that. often wondered about that and when it would. That's got to be canceled. Well, it, it, it's just. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh but again, my god! But again, I mean, would you, would you, would they even have like think of the TV shows while we're going through this list, like All in the Family oh. and the Jeffersons oh, yeah. and uh, Good Times and it was Good Times in the eighties maybe. But uh, actually, it, the Jeffersons was actually a freaking uplifting. It was. <laughs> well, they're moving on up. Yeah. But, but they reflected. They re, again. They reflected the grit and in the in the dirt and the bad stuff of society in a comedic way that yeah. made it that that really exposed the nonsense of those kind of attitudes. You know, that's what's fascinating about it is that they. This is this is why art is so important to let it just be and don't cancel it. Right. Uh, the shout. I don't know any yeah. of these movies falling. No. They're missing all sorts of good ones. I wrote down. Flight is at the Icarus. Yeah. All right. So I didn't uh, see that. That's a great uh, song from Iron Maiden. Flight of the Icarus. I didn't see the Pursuit Pack. I don't know. Uh, Smoking a Bandit. Oh my! Oh yeah! <laughs> I didn't see Cannonball Run. Oh, I didn't see Caddyshack. Oh my! Or Caddyshack oh, yeah. was nineteen eighty. Uh, I didn't see. Uh, well, how about uh, Animal House? Animal Wasn't House. Seventy eight, seventy nine. Oh my god! I didn't I see. see uh, was that? What year was Animal House? Maybe, maybe that was eighty. I think uh, Caddyshack I think was, it was I think it was. I think it was. Maybe. Or just kind of get into a different. Seventy eight. Seventy eight. Yeah, that's oh, all right. Yeah, I think Caddyshack was the seventy was one too, right? Uh, Caddyshack, I think, is eighty. I mean, this is why we got the X checker right here. Yeah. Exactly. 1980. 1980. Nice call. Yeah. Caddy's but, you know, that bleeds over to the 70s anyway. But And then, and then came the 80s. And I'm not going to say there were all bad movies in the 80s, but it, the genre changed a little bit. It wasn't so gritty. It wasn't so dirty. And it wasn't so real. Like, the, the, the movies got shorter. More flash. Yeah, the, they got well, flashier. 80s movies had the music. That's what oh, they, they did. Like, they had the music our, montages. That, de- that decade was where, a soundtrack where, you know, I mean, decade. They, they would have yeah. a goal, and then all of a sudden, the music montage comes on, and they rebuild the boat, or they, you know what I mean? Right. The whole project comes together. Like the 10-year project done yeah, like you that. you know, paint on the face and <laughs> the smiles, and it's like the music montage. You know, I mean, what, what song don't you hear that you, you know, think of Top of uh, top Flight or whatever, you know, with, uh, with Top Gun? Top, top Gun. Gun, thank you. You know, I mean, I'm thinking of the ride at King's sure. Island, good grief. Um, <laughs> You had E.T. You had uh, dude Terminator. Come on! But they were look. Those are those are not great movies. No. But they're not Dog Day Afternoon or and they're not uh, the Deer Hunter and they're not. And Platoon was pretty good though. That's a good movie. Platoon was a holdout like that for sure. But look, who I mean, Indiana Jones. And and those again, those were a little bit more flashy. They were a little bit less uh, insightful and and less in depth. Right. Um, Once Upon a Time in America. Now that Empire Strikes uh, Back, Sergio Sergio Leone on Once Upon a Time in America. It's like the 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 backstory of that is they screwed up his original cut. Like he had a long cut, and uh, he was he proclaimed that they ruined his movie. Because if anybody's ever seen Once Upon a Time on the West, Once Upon a Time in the West with uh, it's a Sergio Leone movie with um, um, Fonda, Peter or Henry Fonda, uh, Charles Bronson. Man, the first ten minutes of that movie give me chills. It's like this this scene in a desert, and in the background you have this windmill that's that's making the squeak noise. Well, yeah, let's just go back to the spaghetti westerns of the seventies, dude. And that's it, well, those are the I ones. didn't I didn't see up there. Maybe it was eighties. The Kentucky Fried movie. That might be the and and I, and I love that movie. That movie is is is, is excellent. Yeah, <clears throat> and to any listener out there that borrowed it from me on DVD, I like it back. I didn't write it down. I don't know where it's at. Now it's gone. And hit that hit play. Like if they can give you the first five minutes of that movie, man, it just blows your it blows you away. I don't know if we'll be able to see the trailer. It. Yeah, I don't even know. If, we're not going to hear this either. Are we? I don't Probably think not. So. No. Yeah. But now the the but those kind. Of, what year was this? 
Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. Let's go back to that. Uh, let's see. 68? 68. Yeah. All right. Yeah, they missed a whole bunch. I mean, just Clint Eastwood's uh, spaghetti westerns are some of the greatest movies ever. Good, Bad, the Ugly. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. And again, change that genre. But that was Sergio Leone. I mean, he made yeah. these sort of epic, um, you know, quiet and, and, and slow burn movies. And I just don't think by the time the 80s came around, it was all cocaine and party and nobody had the tolerance for it. You know, Very different decade. Oh, yeah. Dude, you like, got that right. Look at these. I don't even and, know half these. And I wonder Aliens if it reflects... Agree. Back to the Future. Now, come on. That's prime time. Yeah. That's, good that's, that's good stuff right there. I Full wonder, Metal Jacket Full metal was jacket awesome. Was good one. I wonder if this reflects <coughs> The Shining. Look at that. I wonder Shining. if... The, but there again, that's 80. That's 80. Just, right, right. I wonder if this reflects maybe the economic times, too, because there was more time in the 70s to sit around and do nothing. Or there yeah. was like... it was There was less activity. There was less... There was less faith in uh in what you're doing i don't know return the, the, 80s, Jedi. the 80s was a very flashy decade i mean yeah. eight years of reagan it was just we were the, the economy was on crank yep i mean it yeah. was just yeah. booming booming and nothing could go wrong nothing so could it go reflect, wrong. It reflected in the movies yep yep damn near ruined music though my god the pop music <laughs> of the 80s all right so Die this hard. is a good point that's a great point because we thought music was dead we thought music was yeah. over and it would never come back we've ruined it it's all these synthesized nonsense we're never gonna get back <laughs> to musicians and then came the 90s and the, and the response to that was this dirty grungy the 90s had one, a lot of music yeah, yeah. One the 90s guitar, had so much music from all like, genres and it went to simple times it went back to like a a a tra- or a, a a starter amp and a starter guitar with um what's his name Kurt Cobain it actually did yeah and and that 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 sort of simple easy non-produced sound emerged and well and my band Clutch came about right the then is like and it too. was yeah. stripped down it was basically stoner rock yeah. it, it was a complete Fuzzy, rejection yeah. but then you the, had everything too from gangster rap's birth you know me with NWA yeah. and Ice Cube and and Snoop Dogg and and all of those guys came out yeah. you know. And that changed and opened up a whole new era. Then you also had a lot of combinations because, you know, you got to remember you were getting rid of glam rock, you know, which were just all about partying with strippers, getting drunk. I mean, it was just party, party, party. Overproduced. And and then then the heroin comes in from Seattle with grunge. You know, you got Soundgarden, you've got... But then again, you the had Melvins. like, I mean, you had and Stone you know Temple else? Pilots, you had and, and, the, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, down to Johnny Cash put came say, back. You know, Outlaw he, Country made a comeback yes. in the nineties. Yeah, well, that's all because Both of Rick Rubin. Old and new. Yes, old and new. And you had you had even some of these alt bands like uh, Sun Volt and uh, Uncle Tupelo. Like those, those were like real sort of throwbacks to Outlaw Country sound. And again, that's an, I think that was a backlash from the eighties, just like the eighties oh, was a backlash from the seventies. And I think the point of all this is we're going to have another one. Uh, in another decade or two, and this this will pass, mm-hmm. and, and we're not going to be ruined. No, no. no. So I, I this is this conversation is giving me a little bit of hope. <laughs> I feel better. Well, even to the point where MTV, so had, MTV had the acoustic sessions. Yes, we got back down unplugged. to the very unplugged, and that was very, amazing stuff, wasn't it? It was. Just it really is could make music. I mean, again. some exactly. some of that unplugged albums that they had come out. You know, what I mean, I was. Better. I mean, I don't know if I want to say better, but oh, it, but, but it was there was better than than the album we that they were coming out of. We were starving for a simpler sound. Yes, yes, we were starving for it. I we wasn't because I was into ACDC, so they stayed the same. <laughs> but that's a simple sound. It is. That's it a is. simple sound. It is. it is. Have you heard their new one, dude? Have I heard? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's spectacular. You know what it sounds like? ACDC it sounds exactly like ACDC. <laughs> I mean, but it's, Jay. 
Here's the thing, though, yeah. is that their sound in the '80s was not. It changed. Like who made who? A, l- a little bit. It was overproduced. I even read. I even read some information on this that they changed the after, production in the studio. After for those about to rock, yeah. The, the production in the well, studio changed, and it got the, overproduced. And they made a decision to go back to basics that worked, and that was Angus Young, his guitar, one bass, and rock and roll. And, Ma- and Malcolm. Malcolm. Well, was Rolling, the Rolling, right, Rolling the Stone did the same thing. Where in the late '70s they got oh. into disco and pop, and and they were having their problems. But they came back with Voodoo when, Lounge. When they came Steel back. Wheels, Voodoo Lounge. When they you came back mean? with that, but that's they, where I got but, back on board. Yes, yeah. but they, they fell off there in, in the 80s. Like, I, yeah. like I'm saying, Ace, oh, God, yeah. So it's like, you. I guess the point is, we're looking at this decade right now that we're living and saying, what the hell is going on? What have we done? And what did we think in the 70s? It's like, you go back and read do- or watch documentaries or actually read a book about it. And you'll, you'll hear people that it was despondent. We had hostages. We had... Yeah, but we didn't have anything like 2020. That's what makes me nervous. Well, and this is a whole new game. Business has changed with technology. and Communication has changed with technology. I mean, I remember in the 90s, whenever I was told that someday people won't even have landlines, Mm -hmm. and I laughed. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) yeah, right, man. People always have a landline. I haven't had a landline since 98. Let me offer this. Let me offer this. So we had all this. Now, in, in response to what you're talking about, we had cell phones, immediate gratification, tweets. We want to watch something that's on Netflix. Netflix, we just find it. If we have to watch a commercial, we're pissed. If we have to change a channel ourselves, we're pissed. I had to get up the other day because the remote batteries went dead, and I was like, this is a bunch of bullshit, man. It better come up with batteries that don't go dead. Um, I was pissed. And But look what we're doing right now. We are talking for about two hours, and people are freaking listening. And maybe not to us. I'll be a little bit realistic here, but... I listen to two-hour-long conversations now on a podcast medium that I would never take the time to listen to even two years ago. Right. And and there people are starving for this. We have said this about this roundtable. This is something that is that is going to emerge as a backlash to the nonsense, I think, is that if it, we don't need these idiots to publish our books because we can sit right here and do it. And, and maybe that's it. Like, if somebody's listening and we just <clears throat> shared – they may either think that I'm an awful conservative white supremacist asshole who hates everybody, or maybe they maybe maybe they got an idea here that they thought, you know what, that's interesting. Maybe I'll go check out C.S. Lewis and see what that's all about, or maybe I'll go check out, or maybe they don't have to now because they can just get a, a blurb on YouTube about it. But they, somebody smarter than I can educate them. And I don't know this kind of sharing of ideas at this round. When's the last time we you experienced this before this situation? Every time I call you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, four years ago, before we had that pocket, Jared, you came yeah. up to my office and we sat down and we killed, and I mean killed, about six hours, like that. Yes, talking into microphones at a roundtable. And what other time in my life have I done that? It goes way back to your parents having coffee and and visiting with people that would come over. That just doesn't happen anymore. But it's starting to happen like this. It's it's a actually different- yeah. It's it's different technology, but it's it's sort of the same, and maybe it's better because it can be preserved and reproduced. Uh, let's go back to music just real quick to end this. All right, I want everybody's guess. What are the greatest selling albums of all time? What? Yeah, I, that, that, that's that's. Well, crazy, what would you man. think? What would you think? Like the I'd White Frank Album? Sinatra, it's got to be somewhere on there. And this is in the world of all time. Michael Jackson's on the list. Somewhere. Michael Jackson's on the Thriller. list. Okay, be on Elvis Number Presley's got to be on the Number list. Number one, Elvis is. Thriller. Yeah. Thriller, yeah. Elvis, some religious yes. album from Elvis. Yes, number two. We, we, I've, we won a, I've won a, I've won a bar bet. How did you know? 
That because to be honest with you, because back uh, in black, a, 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 yeah. no, a right there. Can you believe that? Meatloaf, bad out of hell. Yep. Makes some sense. Can yeah. you? I would have said the Stones, uh, Elvis, mm. the Beatles, the White Album. What the hell? A buddy yeah. of mine, no. Scott. He... ACDC, back in black, and that's with the new singer. That's with Brian Johnson, the first album back. Can you well, freaking? I can't. Come on, back in black is, is a solid album. But that, I mean, so that blows solid. me away, though. I never. Never right, keep going down because I want to see. I got, yeah. I got an idea. I want to see. Keep going. I'm going to see the, this all. Pink this. Floyd is four. Whitney Houston. That makes sense, right? Eagles, Bee Gees. All right. So here's the deal with this. Look at the dates. Yep. Um, what's interesting about this is there are some awesome albums, but they all came out in the 60s. So the marketing was different. The availability was different. People's ability to actually take a record and play it was different or take it with you in a cassette version was different. I mean, it's like there. This Eight can't track. be coincidental that all those albums were released after 1973. Pink Floyd's being the oldest, and I'll bet you most of those sold. That's Dark Side of the Moon. I'll bet you most of those sold in like after uh, the Wall came out, uh, which was what 76, I think. Um, but anyway, that's um, it's interesting because it's like, isn't it? Why isn't the? I mean, there's there's so many awesome Beatles albums, like the oh, White right, Album, and, right? But the, and, not and uh, yeah. what's the other one? Uh, not the White Album. Uh, and how about that Shania Twain mystery tour? What is it? Uh, Sergeant Pepper. Sergeant Pepper. Sergeant right. Pepper. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look at that. Shania Twain is the. Uh... So marketing is so much different though, and that's the. I don't think this reflects anything other than that. Is that? I mean, correct because like I had ACDC tapes, multiple of them, because I'd wear them out. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, <laughs> but before that, I had a phonograph. Yeah. And I did not have a record player that would go into my automobile. Right. And right. once again, you got to also date it up as to whenever I got my driver's license. You sure. know what I mean? And the interest in music generally <clears throat> started to take off. Well, so. and, and also up through about 1997, radio stations started to change how they formatted themselves. Another in, good point. In mm-hmm. the aughts. Because yeah. you could hear Michael Jackson's Thriller album on rock stations because yes. Eddie Van right. Halen played. On Beat It. Right. Yeah. So they, you got that cross-promote on a lot of different stations. That helped up through about 2000 with all these all these genres of music. And now it's just, you know, you get a rock station. You know you have a pop station. But even yeah. the internet's changed. I, a little I don't so know now. if I would have gotten more than one on that top ten. I don't 10. think I would either. I don't know either. Uh, yeah. That, I know, I, Eagles' greatest hits, I never would have gotten that. No, right. No. The Bodyguard, I wouldn't have gotten that. Although, what's his name? Who's the, the, the Hollywood? Kevin uh, Costner. No, no, no. The producer that did the music. Um, real famous guys. He, he wrote so many music. He, he has participated in so many albums, songs, both in cinema as well as uh, just pop recording. Guy's amazing. But uh, he talked about, I watched a, bio, or a, uh, a documentary and he talked about the, the decision to use, to use that song, uh, I Will Always Love You or whatever mm-hmm. it is. It was an old Dolly Parton song. And uh, it was, I think Kevin Costner actually suggested it, but they were trying to figure out how to start it. And, uh, the the decision to have her start a cappella, you know, without any accompaniment, it was somewhat questionable at the time, and she just freaking nailed it. She did. And I my, I watched that movie with my kids on on last Saturday. Um, it, so it was a good movie. Wh- who are you talking about here? David Foster. Yeah. Oh, David Foster. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know that guy. Oh, yep. I know who. I, yep. Mm-hmm. He he's he's been in his his fingerprints are over so many popular hits that you wouldn't even. It's almost hard to comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. So is uh. Who's the guy that brought back? Um, was it Rick Rubin that brought back Johnny? Yes, yes, it was. So yeah, so Rick, look at what Rick Rubin has done. He's he done, brought back the Peppers, bro. He he did more. He brought people out yeah. and brought people back. Yeah, mm-hmm. Rubin has done. Uh, he's got his fingers um, and hands on all all kinds of things. What's his name? DJ. What's his name? Um, well, I'm in the Beastie Boys. He Beastie has, Boys. 
Didn't he do a Def Leppard album? He did a Def Leppard. Yeah, you're right. LL Cool J, Beastie Boys, Public Enemy, Ghetto Boys, Run DMC. I thought he did Pyro. I thought he made, uh, not Pyromania, the Pour Some Sugar on Me stuff, that 80s crap. Maybe not. Uh, I think he did. Def Jam years. It's not It's not Pyromania. Oh, my God. He produced Slayer. Raining Blood. Oh, my yeah. God. Aerosmith. What are you thinking of Mutt Lang? Mutt Lang no. is who I'm thinking. Yeah. Mutt Lang. Mutt Lang is he, thinking. He's yeah. one that did ACDC in yeah. the beginning. Mutt Lang is a, is a Def Leppard guy. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right yeah. about that. Um, but he brought out, brought back, yeah, Red Hot, yeah. And he helped Chili cross-pollinate rap and rock. He sure did. Yeah. And he sure he, did. He, uh, he did the Aerosmith when, you know, mean, Whenever he had Johnny yes. Cash do Hurt, yes. yeah. whenever he did Hurt from Nine Inch Nails, <clears throat> which is, you know, I mean, the, the his rendition is absolutely amazing. Jay-Z, Nine Nine Problems, he did that one. God, <clears throat> the guy's a freaking genius. Oh, yeah. All right, well, we got to wrap this up. All right, um, on a good note, there you go. So uh, it th- everything sucks, but there's hope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see us. <laughs> everything sucks, but there's hope. Like, go out and take back your freedom, folks. Uh, go out on St. Patrick's Day. Be safe without trouble. Two weeks out, we'll have another message next week. But uh, So we got lots going on, man. I mean, there's comedic skits happening in here. There's video streaming happening in here. There is... Uh, all sorts of stuff to come. We keep teasing it, and it's coming. I promise. I promise. Uh, there's. We've. I've been contacted by two separate people now. Who want their own podcast to work here at the studio, and you know what they they all said. It's like we we needed a podcast. I've been wanting to do a podcast. I just didn't know how to start it. I didn't know what to do. And trust me, I have been there. I've been part of that where I wanted to do a podcast, and thanks to Brett, I was able just to finally pull the trigger and buy some microphones and get it done. And if you couldn't buy your own microphones, he could help. Um, and then that that sort of hatched this ridiculous plan here to have a full-blown, professionally built, meaning I paid for it, professionally built, <laughs> uh, professionally built uh, recording studio here in the basement of my law practice. And, and the idea is not only to, uh, to perpetuate our podcast, but to perpetuate other podcasts. And this is, this is going to go right, circle right back because we have a round table here and that is a circle. We're going to circle right back to what we're talking about is that if you want to share thoughts, if you want to share ideas, if you want to engage in the kind of conversation that your parents used to engage in, then come here and do it. Give us a check us out and we'll help you get your own podcast started. We'll help you get it to podcast land. We'll help you get it recorded. It'll sound like ours does. That is professional, like a radio station. That's no secret why, because Freddie Blanchard is making that happen. He's our sound engineer. If you want photographs, if you want a website that looks like ours over at lawyertalkpodcast.com, uh, then you're gonna you're gonna meet very quickly. Photo Dan Dan Buckley at Dan Buckley Photography. He's the reason why the pictures look so good. And I can I got to tell you, man, it ain't because you're walking around with a camera in your pocket, pulling it out and taking pictures. Give that camera to Dan, and it will result in better pictures. But then give him a professional camera and let him take pictures of you. You will be blown away. It makes a difference. It's a lost art. We're bringing it back right here at Channel Five One One. Comedians on South High. Jared has stepped out, but. He is making that happen every single Thursday. They're recording, dropping an episode every week. Jason Banks is blowing up on TikTok at Jason Banks on TikTok, whatever that is, dot whatever. Uh, just go, <laughs> go go Google Jason Banks on TikTok. You'll find him because he's got over 2 million, maybe 3 million by now followers. That means his crap is funny as hell. You should go check it out. Uh, we are always bringing the latest and greatest topics now with the X-Checker at the helm and the computer bringing us facts. 
we don't have to make them up anymore. We can actually get them, <laughs> which is uh, remarkable. And everybody's asking, where's the beard? Where's the beard? Well, he's still here. He's upstairs working. He's doing his thing, but he hasn't given up on us, and we haven't given up on him. He's coming back soon, I promise. And uh, stay tuned for other great stuff. We are kicking around a regular legal analysis and commentary show. So that is in the production mode right now. That means you're going to get yours truly talking about legal stuff in a way that you can understand. I'm going to break it down. It's going to be called Lawyer Talk Breakdown. So lots to come in the future, lots there in the past. Come to the roundtable, listen to us weekly at Lawyer Talk, off the record, on the air, at least until now.